Hello and welcome to the Tenpence Arcade Podcast. We are back through all the things that have been going on in the world. We are back for a while. Uh, my name is Victor Marland, aka Vertvic, and I have a very special guest that nobody knows about because we haven't put it out. All the way from Kentucky, America, it is Whitney Roberts. Hello, Whitney. How are you? I'm doing well. Good morning. Well, morning for me. Good afternoon for you, Vic. Afternoon. So, yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, I have been holed up in quarantine for uh, going on four weeks now, so I was happy to be on the show. Excellent. You've been, yeah. I mean, it's it's obviously a global pandemic, the thing that's going on. We're talking yes. on the 11th of April to 2020, in case you listen to this in mm-hmm. the future, everyone, or in the past, if you're a, a time traveler. Yeah, if you have a DeLorean. And you, you can never know. You never know. We're, Finding we're, somewhere to go 88 miles an hour here is no problem. So you, <laughs> yeah. could, you could very easily, very easily uh, do that trip. The weird thing is, we'll just get the pandemic stuff out of the way quickly first. The weird thing with me, and I was speaking to someone in uh, Dubai the other day, a friend of mine who moved over there a little while ago to teach, and he was saying, how are you getting on over there in the UK? Because the UK has been hit pretty bad. It's probably the one of the worst in Europe at the moment. And I said to him, the weird thing is, if I didn't listen to any media or watch the news or whatever, I would hardly recognise anything's going on. Because we're, I, I've been going to work all throughout this. I haven't I stopped see. work at all. For some very, very slim reason, we are, we are known as key workers because we, we do one job at work because I'm an engineer. We make some parts, some brass parts for oxygen filling bottles. So that's an essential part, apparently. But there's only one like item we do. And we've also got an MOD, Ministry of Defence Licence, because we do stuff for, for aircraft. So that's sort of deemed as, you know, that kind of thing. I don't believe it myself. but So I've not been stopped going to work. I've not been at home, not been in quarantine. I've been very careful. But I've been wearing a mask at work for the past two or three weeks. I'm the only person there who does. Yeah. Um, and, and the only thing you really notice, if you drop me in from outer space three weeks ago and said, what's going on? I would just say... It's very quiet in the mornings when I go to work, and there's nothing open. What's going on? I wouldn't realise. You know, certain things are not open. There's yeah. not many people on the streets. When you go for a walk with the dog, which we are allowed to do here for dogs' exercise, you see more people out in in dog parks and 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 you know river walks and that stuff than you ever seen. Because I think it's the only place people can go at the moment because the big parks have shut off and everything, and they're going to the little parks. But other than that, I wouldn't have really noticed much has been going on. Been very careful, washing hands more often than normal. Been wearing my mask at work all the time. Been trying to keep myself away from people. So I have been doing my bit. I really have. I've not been ignoring it because yeah. I know you know there's been like nine hundred to thousand people dying every day of it, and it's it's a terrible thing. But other than that, I, I wouldn't have noticed because it's not happened to me personally. I don't know anyone who, who's who's been properly ill in hospital. I haven't really noticed it, but I am being very careful just in case. I hope you are yeah. too. I am I, from 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 the U.S. perspective. I mean, I, I live in Kentucky, and every state has had a bit of a, a different response to the pandemic. Some yeah. states were very proactive about how they decided to do what they call a, a shelter-in-place directive mm-hmm. uh, or guidance. I guess it, it was guidance at first, then it became a directive later on. Yeah, yeah. And then some states have not been hit hard at all, and they were very, very, uh, very lax about. Initiating any type of shelter-in-place guidance or then a directive, but right now, Vic, uh, most if not all, the U.S. here is is under some type of shelter-in-place guidance, and that means yeah. essentially that unless you have uh, critical trips to make for for groceries, for food, or for medical attention, or or it, you're going to any one of the businesses that have been deemed, you know, I'll do air quotes around this essential. Yeah. Uh, 
outside of that, then you're directed to stay home. So most everybody here is working from home if they yeah. if they possibly can. A lot of businesses have have shuttered going going into work and. Uh, and like me with my work, uh, I mean, I, I work in what I would consider large scale, large scale enterprise IT. So I can I can do most of my most of my work from home, which is great from that regard. But uh, you talk about the difference day to day. It's just that we, we are staying home. And when we do go out. Uh, it's it's odd. It, it looks like almost a scene from the movie I Legend. I don't with Will Smith. I don't know if yeah, you remember I that, have, remember yeah, that yeah, movie yeah. where he was driving through the city in in, in the lone uh, Ford Mustang, and there were there's trees and bushes and stuff growing up through the pavement and everything mm. like that. And you it, and you you see uh, it, you see what looks like, almost like uh, almost like uh, I don't know tumbleweeds and stuff kind of rolling through the streets. <laughs> yeah. It's not it's not like that here, but it definitely reminds you of that because everything is shut down. Grocery stores are open, uh, but restaurants are open for carry out only. Yeah. You cannot go anywhere and sit down and eat a meal. It's it's you go in, you pick your food, you leave and or you do a drive through. But outside of that, Victor, I mean, hospitals are open and things like that, but everything else, it's it shut down. You just drive through you just drive through the city and uh, building after building after building just looks it, it they just look evacuated and, and just completely underboard. Yeah. So it's it's odd. It's really odd. Now now we've got all this sort of pandemic stuff out of the way and we're all inside, hopefully yeah. doing arcade chores and pinball chores and all that sort of stuff. If if people don't listen to you on the Broken Token podcast with Brent Griffiths, yeah, yeah, my, my buddy Brent, yes, uh, they should do for goodness sake. And if they don't, please tell them what your podcast's about first. Okay, no, I, pre- I appreciate that, Vic. So, so yeah, the Broken Token podcast it's it's got a very long name. It's, it's uh, the formal name is the Broken Token Classic Arcade and Pinball Podcast, and yep. that's a mouthful. So we just call it the Broken Token Podcast. But uh, my good friend Brent Griffith and I uh, we we host that show. It's a monthly show, mm-hmm. and it's it's more of a long format show. I mean, our our episodes tend to go anywhere from two to three to four five hours. It just come on, they go further the, than that sometimes, and, and some of them go further than that sometimes that is very true but uh we're we're a split arcade and uh pinball game uh, gaming podcast and so we cover we cover classic arcade gaming 50 i'd say roughly 50 percent of the time as well as pinball 50 percent of the time and we also sneak in a bit of console gaming in there mm-hmm. and, and even a little bit of pop culture talk from time to time it's really just a a, a bit of a free form flow up front on what's going on in our lives and and how how we're doing in the hobby and what we're working on and projects that we're that we spent some time on over the last month and news that we've heard and what's in even a bit of you know kind of what's going on in the world non-political non-religious we don't we don't Absolutely. get into any of that yeah you don't need to. We, we keep it we keep the the show all completely family friendly mm-hmm. and we have been uh running for uh eight eight years plus or minus so uh, it's right at that where we just released our 88th episode uh, about a a, well no i'm sorry a little over a month ago and uh we've got a couple of more uh pre-recorded shows coming up but uh the pandemic has definitely put a a bit of a a kink into our release schedule because we like to record in person and so Brent and I will meet and uh, we, we record in his basement and we'll sit opposing each other so we can see each other and everything like that. Because 
we only live about a half hour apart from each other. So it, it's really no problem for me to just hop in, hop in the vehicle and drive over to his house. And then we set up shop and then record it. It makes for a really, uh, a really organic, a good organic kind of feel, but yeah. yeah. So we cover off on some, on some industry news and kind of what's happening. And then there's just banter and we'll have interviews on and, We've interviewed folks from the pinball industry, the arcade gaming industry, as well as the console, uh, you know, the, the console industry as well. So we kind of run the gamut, but it gamut, but it is mostly fa- mostly focused on classic arcade gaming and pinball. Yeah, well, I've noticed a lot lately because I, I do listen to your podcast every month, and I've noticed lately that you you do focus a lot on pinball. But the thing the thing with pinball is there's a lot more going on with pinball because Stern, obviously, and there's a few other smaller companies are still yeah. releasing pinballs like. Almost almost every six months nowadays if they've got loads out and they're, they're still going strong so there is obviously a lot more pinball news and then along with the pinball news goes the sort of the homebrew side of it where people are making extras for it and they're making you know new lcd displays and color dmds and and all this yes. sort of stuff. So there's quite a lot going on in the pinball world and i wish it was as much going on in, in the because the pinballs for me I, I do like playing pinball but i i really need the room and the money to buy a pinball and have one and actually yes. learn how to play the damn things because for me they're quite complicated and it's nice to have someone behind they're... you saying do this do that and and you yes. are a good guy for doing that because you know how to play them and I don't really get into them and then again if someone said to me here's eight thousand pounds there's a little room on, on the edge of your house I'm going to build for you buy a pinball I would probably buy three arcade machines because I'm like I that <laughs> you know Vic, I'll tell you, I completely understand it. So let me let me kind of peel that back because you hit on three very, very valid topics. So number one, you're right. We have gravitated a bit more towards pinball in, in the recent, I'd say, year, year and a half or so. Yeah. And the reason for that is both Brent and I love pinball. I mean, there's there's no shame about it or no secret about it. I abs- We absolutely love it. Uh, we both do have several pinball machines at our house. And so, Vic, I guess point number two is that, uh, I mean, our, our houses are, are big enough, fortunately, that we, could, we have a dedicated games rooms. And so we can set up some tables in there. And you're right. They're expensive. Mm. There's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Uh, if, you're, if you're wanting to own modern pinball machines, it is a financial commitment. There's it's it just is yeah but but the great thing about it is they they are so much fun to play they are so complex they are very deep um and the good thing about it is is that you you can you can play and play and play no game's ever the same um there's a bit of randomness to it but there's a significant amount of skill to it as well yeah and i've just found that over time i just really enjoy playing pinball And, and my family likes to play it as well yeah um arcade gaming as much as i absolutely love it and and it is endearing to me it's a bit more of a one-on-one experience and walk up to a cabinet and play it and it's great but it's not one of those types of uh i guess activities where my family will gather around an arcade cabinet and watch watch me play me my daughter and i or my wife and i will take turns but pinball is just has that approachability to it where we can all stand around the table and, and everybody, everybody kind of, kind of uh, cheers at each other on. And it's a bit of a, I, I don't, I'll use the term a hoop and a holler, so to speak. So <laughs> that's the first one. <laughs> yeah, there's the first one, but it's one of those scenarios where everybody just really gets into the interactivity of it. So, yeah. um, and the other part of it is you're right. The industry is, uh, 
it's seen a bit of a resurgence and there is so much going on in pinball. Stern is one of those that you mentioned, Jersey Jack pinball, uh, Chicago gaming, um, in, in, in others that spooky pinball and others that are really leading the charge in keeping that side of the gaming industry thriving. Mm. And on the arcade side, uh, I mean, I hate to say it, but it is a bit of a, a closed bubble, so to speak, because yeah. outside outside of some mods and outside of the folks that are that are doing work on free play free play kits or high score kits or mods to cabinets, there's just not an industry right now that is moving the arcade scene, quote unquote, forward. Yeah. So so we're we, we, we kind of battle that on our show, so to speak. But yeah. make no love. I mean, we're we're as much arcade as anything. So yeah. Yeah, because I think the arcade side, you get um, people like the Sky Cursor team um, who oh, made yeah. made a machine, and you got the uh, the Killer Queen machine, and there's a few others come out recently, but it's very few and far between over the past ten years. With pinball, it's just gone crazy. I mean, you did have Highway Pinball a little while ago until they went under. They were doing some nice machines. I saw some of those in the UK. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to do with with pinball. And when you buy the pinball, if you're a tinkerer like we are, there's so many mods you can buy from as well. You can buy oh, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's just crazy. You can spend like you know a thousand dollars on just mods for it on top of the, the thing you've already buy. So you, it's a tinkerer's delight. And that's delight. just for one machine. Yeah. yeah, and that's just for one game. Yeah, yes. it's good. Yeah. Now I'll say this though, it's one of those scenarios where I have found it to be the perfect complement to the arcade and in the console gaming, and I, I move in and out of each one uh, from a, a ratio perspective as to how much I spend my free time on on a, on a month to month basis. But once the silver ball gets in your blood, it's it's hard to it's hard to deny it. It, it, yeah. it is just so much fun. Yeah. I've spoken to people who have gone into pinball and dipped their toe in, and then. You know, it's all or nothing, and they're just getting rid of stuff and, and trying to get more machines in, and they're playing different ones. But they're obviously a lot bigger as well, so you do need room. Yes. And, and what I what I say to everyone who when we speak about pinball is what a lot of people do. It's like it's like having an expensive car. You'll buy one pinball perhaps, and you'll play it to death. You'll learn everything about it. You'll do everything you want to do with it, and then go, I want another one. So they'll sell yeah. it for the same money yeah. usually yeah. or more. Because they don't usually yeah. go down in price so much and get another one, and they'll you know swap and change them between the two or whatever. But yeah, it's 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 there's a few pinballs I do like, and my and as you say, my wife as well loves playing pinball. So when we go out to some of those pinball, we just bat the ball around. We sort of work little things out together, and it is good to watch because it's such an open table. You can stand like you know ten people around and watch, but when you've got an arcade machine with a little nineteen-inch monitor, you can't get that many people around to watch. So it is. Yeah. I know what you mean. I know exactly what you're saying. It's true. Yeah, it's it's very family friendly when it when it comes to that. And what I have found, at least in my scenario, is the arcade and in, in the pinball scene here in Kentucky, it's mostly centered around uh, the, the the bigger cities, Louisville, Louisville and Lexington, uh, Southern Indiana here. But what's what I find is that a lot of folks in in the hobby locally, they've got games rooms in their house, and so they'll they'll get four or five tables, what, whatever, whatever they can afford, whatever they buy, whatever they fix up or store themselves. It doesn't really matter how you do it. But ultimately what it does is it builds a bit of a, a, a bit of a variety 
Mm. inside in, inside the games rooms inside the house and especially for for me and my family i mean we live in a very rural area and so i don't i don't really try i mean i don't really travel out to louisville just to just for the sole purpose of playing pinball because i've built up a nice little collection here at home and i just thoroughly enjoy it that way i mean i've got enough games here that i'll, I'll probably never in my lifetime hit the depth uh, and run each one of my pinball games completely to the end. It's mm. great. So it's great. So I, I, every time I approach them, it's almost like they're new again, because it's not that I'm a bad player, but I'm certainly not the player at a level that would just run an entire game all the way through. Yeah. I, just much like you, I just enjoy batting it around and uh, and learning the rules and and having to go at it. That mm. that's just the funnest thing about it. And then I turn around and I play all I play the arcade game on the other side of the room. It works out well. I'm so glad you said that because the next thing I was going to ask you is in your games room, because I've been to your house and you live in quite a a good area. It's a big house and you've got extra storage on the back, which I never even saw. But your actual games room, can you tell us what's in your game room at the moment? Not in the storage. I know you've got loads of stuff in the storage that you haven't even got to yet. Yeah, I do have a load of stuff in the storage. Yeah, so right now in in the games room, I've got... Uh, on the arcade side, I've got um, a, a Nintendo row, so to speak, because mm-hmm. that's just where my passion is on, on the arcade side. A Donkey Kong, uh, Donkey Kong Jr., Donkey Kong Three. Uh, I've got a, I've got Mario Brothers. Uh, that that's in a standard cabinet, not not a wide body cabinet. Yeah. Uh, a Popeye, and then uh, of course I have my Skyskipper. Oh yes. And uh, yeah, yep. And then I've got a Punch Out. And let's see, uh, real quick, um, I've got a rally, an upright Rally X. Oh. A, a Mad Planets and a Gyrus, and oh. then I've got my Zookeeper, which uh, has been <laughs> has Uh-oh. been in a, a state of restore for years now. But uh, <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, maybe quarantine's a good a, a good opportunity for me to log some time on it. Absolutely. But the Zookeeper's back here in my workroom. Uh, I, I look at it every day, and it taunts me every day. But it, it will get done. Um, <laughs> And then I've got I've got a, a sit down pole position in in the games room. I've oh. got a upright food fight. Um, let's see, a burger time, a Satan's Hollow, oh, a Tron. Nice. Yep. And then uh, let's see, and then that's it on the arcade side. And then I've got my pinball tables. And mm-hmm. so I've got let's see, um, ACDC, Iron Man, Tron. Mm-hmm. And then I have got uh, Star Trek, Total Nuclear Annihilation and uh batman 66 so oh, those you've are, got a those batman 66 i do have a batman 66 that's been the most recent purchase and it is uh it, it's absolutely wonderful I, I i love it i love it and the thing about it is is i was not high on that game when it came out in fact if you go back and listen to I remember some, yeah. older, some older episodes i i actually actually gave it the stick I, I was i was not impressed with it whatsoever but over time and um with code updates and everything and me just playing it on location time and time again, um, it, it started to grow, it started to grow on me and it has, it's become, it's quickly become one of my favorites. And so I, I've had to eat a little crow on that, but that's fine. I mean, humble pie, uh, is the best tasting pie. So you have to be able to, uh, to take your slice of it and go, but yeah, I've Batman 66. I've just really grown to love it as of late. Well, you've just, um, basically given away your status you are a billionaire because you can afford that machine you didn't buy the top of the range fourteen thousand dollar one then i take it 
Oh, no, 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 no. Because that no, is a no, very I, expensive one, isn't it? It can that, be. It can very, be. It, it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the Super LE was was extremely expensive. No, I, I when I buy a pinball machine, I tend to buy buy them at the end of their run because okay. at that point uh, Stern typically has a lot of the uh, a lot of the production issues worked out mm-hmm. and um, they'll they'll have the latest hardware improvements in them and everything like that so my my Batman 66 is what they call a Catwoman edition oh. which was which was the last of of the run that Stern did on that particular title so yeah so it's it's got a specific translate in it and everything like that for for Catwoman so it's cool I mean it's cool I wasn't exactly angling for for that specific Catwoman edition of the game. It's just that's what Stern had available at the very end of the run, and I just waited till the very end of the production run to buy mine. So that's what I got. So it, it wasn't that I tried. It's just that that's what that's what was available at the very end. So I bought I bought a lot of my pinball machines like that, as I said. So at the end of the- what was it Eartha Kit that was Catwoman in the original Batman. Uh, yes, Eartha Kitt and uh, Julie Newmar. So it was wow. actually played by, by two different actresses. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good one. Wow, because it really is. Yeah. That that was when people say to me, Batman. I'm not that keen on the on the later Batman films. I mean, the Tim Burton ones were quite good, and then later on, the, I just sort of forgot about them because I'm not really into Marvel stuff as much as you are. But when someone says Batman to me, it just takes me back to being a kid and watching those campy, cheesy, silly, oh absolutely brilliant TV programs from from like the yes. '60s and '70s. They were just they were just so silly. They were brilliant. In that that Victor is probably the best way to sum them up because mm. I have revisited them recently. If you go out on eBay, you can pick up the entire Batman 66 series and oh, it has wow. been remastered and released on Blu-ray. Oh, cool. Now, now you have to keep in mind that this is video and audio sources from 1966, 1967. Yeah, yeah. So it's only going to look so good. Yeah. But considering the source, it looks absolutely brilliant. Mm. And to go back and watch them again, yes, they're very campy. Yes, they're very tongue in cheek. And yes, you can see uh, you can see production foibles. You can see slips in the in the sets. You can see just how <laughs> how certain things that you thought looked amazing are actually made out of cardboard and everything yeah. like that. <laughs> but it doesn't take away from from just the sheer. Um, I, I would say joy that it brings in watching it and just the charm that it really has. And you can tell Adam West and, and that, that entire crew, uh, you can tell that, yes, they were paid. Yes, you, you know how that goes. But you, you just get the sense that they were all in it because they were having a good time. Yeah. And and you've got other actors like Cesar Romero who did the, who played the Joker and everything. And just it just an absolutely brilliant brilliant actor and uh and, and then fred gershwin who played who played the riddler just I'm, i mean just amazing performances for the campiness of it but <laughs> yeah. amazing all the same yeah, yeah. I, I, the thing that stru- struck me and even when you see stills of it nowadays and it probably helps with the blu-ray reproduction of it is how yeah. colorful the sets were i mean the cut you know the 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 Joker had bright green hair and, and you know, purple costumes, all this sort of stuff. Purple costumes, and yeah. it just it just really sort of pops. And I imagine what they've done with that is, is just get the colours right in it. And I I think I might have to buy that now, you know, because I, I think 
uh, Tori and I would quite like that because she's quite a bit younger than me. She's like nearly 11 years younger than me. And she probably didn't get the Batman 66 experience as a kid. I mean, I did, obviously, on reruns because I was born in 73. That's how I I saw it in reruns as well. Yeah, Yeah, so I might have to get that. That does sound interesting. It it is so well. When they're climbing up the side of a building, it's obviously they're just with a rope on the side. They just yeah, turned the camera 90 degrees. Yeah, it's yeah, brilliant. It's just, it's just a, it's a taunt rope with the camera turned on its side, <laughs> yet they're able to make it look like that. And I swear to you, as a kid watching it, I really thought that they were they were in mortal danger because they How were they always climbing up the side. They were always climbing up the side of a building, but now you watch it and you can tell that they're not straining. They're, yeah. They they don't have the ropes like wrapped around their hands in, in three or four loops or anything, and you can tell that they are totally they are totally phoning that that whole experience <laughs> in. But it works. None yeah. of this, it, I, I mean, it works all the same. And the yeah. fight scenes as well with the, the comic book kapows. I think that was for back then as well. That's that was great effects, and it, it works because. They're basically putting a comic book on the screen, and that's what I like about when when they do it right with comic books. Because I'm recently, I've, I've been getting into comic books lately because I've been to the the library a lot recently. Because I used to buy um, comic book um, anthologies, and they're getting quite expensive. Uh-huh. So I thought, what I'll do now is, is my wife's a massive reader; she's a huge literary student, and she said, "We just go down the library." So I've been going to the local library before all this happened, and I've been getting out um, graphic novels, and I've been into a, a uh-huh. one called, an Alan Moore one called Promethea. And it's absolutely huge. It's going to take me forever to read it. And it's really, really trippy and very um, sort of psychological. It's, it's really clever how they're doing it. And it's a female lead as well. And it's, it's really good. And I've been listening to reading some other ones, some really, really weird ones. And I like the weirder the get, the better for me. And I'm sort of into the darker side, the Vertigo ones. And I, I had Watchmen years ago. And I've had um, V for Vendetta and all those sort Watchmen. of... Watchmen's great. Yes. It really is. Yeah, and the, the, the recent TV series was really good. I really enjoyed that. So I've been getting into the comic books, and what I like when they do a film, they make it. It's like when the first Sin City came out; they made it very comic book like, and I like it when they do that because it's, it's sort of bringing the comics to the screen, but not going the full Disney on it. And I quite like how they do that. That's sort of my thing more than anything. My brother and I collected comics as as a kid, and really, comic books are are how how I learned to read <laughs> by and yeah. large. As far as vocabulary expansion and depth and and things like that, and I I just really 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 have a soft spot in my heart. I mean, you mentioned you mentioned the, the Marvel line, and and there there are um, there are numerous uh, numerous I guess compendiums of runs of of the, of the Marvel lines that you can go back and you can you can get uh, the masterpiece collections for Iron Man and for Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four. And if you want to read 20 or 30 issues all, all into one book, yeah. you can do that. And that's a good way to consume today yeah. because I, I don't really know that, that, at least I know that I wouldn't want to dedicate that much uh, shelf space to individual issues. Mm. But if I, can get a, if I can get a hardbound book that has 30 issues printed into one hard, hardback book, then that that's a really good way to go. I've, I've got a couple, but it, much like anything else, it's like it almost feels like a whole nother hobby all over again. And it's like oh, be, gotta, yeah. I, I can't get in. I've just got to I've got to call that quits. So yeah. I, I buy them slowly. I read them and then then I'll pick up another one. I'm, I'm not collecting them for the sake of having them. So. Yeah, because yeah. I've been into uh, manga for quite a while as well. And there's also this sort of like um there's sort of Western manga as well, sort of graphic novels um, like Brian Leo Malley. There's one recently I've been reading. I'm waiting for the, the last one to come out called Snot Girl. 
and it's about oh, it's brilliant. It's, it's it's it sort of seems very sort of teenager type thing. I think this is for teenage girls. And I was reading it, and then a, suddenly a dark bit happens. I went, hold on a minute, this is for me. And I've got through three of the four books. I'm waiting for the fourth one to come out now, and it's really good. But I think you'll find there are a lot more than four snot girl books. Brian Lee O'Malley did um, Scott Pilgrim, and he's done okay. Lost at Sea, and there's another one, um, Seconds, which is really good. And he sort of because I really liked Scott Pilgrim. I loved the film. It's one of my favourite sort of, of of the sort of popcorn films, and I love mm-hmm. that. And then when I found out it was a graphic novel, I was like, oh, I've got to get these, and they're even better because it expands the story even more. Because obviously, it can only fit so much into a film in one go. Yeah. So I've been into those as well, and I do like buying the compendiums. The, the, they've been getting keeping me going because you know when I go to sleep at night, I say just just old fashioned read a little book for a while. And I've got a load That's of them right. on my iPad now as well, so I'm just yeah. sort of reading some on my iPad because Promethea is it must be like thirty books long. It's really huge. When I first started reading it, I didn't read it. It's so long. I was like, oh god, I got I'm really into it now. I've got to get through the whole thing, and it's yeah. one of those things that yeah. just keeps you hooked in all the time. My, my daughter, she she loves manga, and so I'll have to uh, I'll have to pull some recommendations from you uh, after the show because she is constantly buying book after book after book, and she she reads them what I would almost say is voraciously mm. from from a rate from a reading rate perspective, and it's almost like we can't I, I can't keep her in books fast enough. <laughs> yeah, that's a good she, thing. She, she works her way through them so quickly yeah. but yeah if you've got some recommendations i will i'll put together an order for her and she would absolutely uh, she, she would love you love you forever uh, cool. so that would that would be awesome yeah to, to just dial it quickly back to arcade before more arcade stuff the one thing i would like to see in manga and it might be in japan but it was obviously in japanese is high score girl have you been watching that on netflix no, no, I have not. I will tell Grace about that. Well, I think you would like it as well because it's it's like um, uh, an animated manga, anime, but it's held in the arcades in Japan in the early eighties. So it's, it's, there's some school kids and there's this girl who doesn't really say much, but she's really uh-huh. good at arcade games. And there's a lad who sort of follows around watching, and he sort of falls in love with her because he's really jealous of how good she plays. She just comes in and plays really well. And it's all about sort of the, the arcade life in Japan, which is very, very different to, to the Western world. And I yeah. love it. And they've just brought out the second series. And I'm going to get into that probably tonight, actually. Oh, but that will be good in a comic book as well, because they, they do go into real depth about some of the games. Because they'll, they'll do a game and they'll tell you about the game, like they did Splatterhouse and like the first mm-hmm. Street Fighter. And they, they, they've done some really good research into it. And I mean, it's really accurate research as well. And they show you sort of like the, the life in the early 80s in Japan, which we know nothing about, about how exactly. kids used to play on these little tiny wooden arcade cabinets outside grocery shops and, you know, the game centres, which became like the candy cab arcades that we know of nowadays. And it's, it's really good. I think you and Grace would love that. And it's a bit I mad as well. Being Japanese, it's a bit mad as well, which I like. Good. Good, good. Uh, yeah, I made a note of that, and I will, I'll look that up with Grace. So she would thoroughly enjoy that, I'm sure. I reckon. So we were talking about. I, I hate to bring it up again, but poor old Zookeeper. What have you got <laughs> left? Because Zookeeper was the second game we reviewed on the podcast with Alex years ago, yeah. and I, I, I thought I hated the game, but I ended up absolutely. We called it the ten pence effect, where you think you hate a game. And you play it for a little while to do a review on it and do some research. And I ended up loving that game, and I still love it now. And, an actual, and a, a dedicated cabinet is quite hard to come by, especially in the UK. So what yeah. have you got left to do to your cabinet? So so he, here's a bit of the story on mine. Um, I, I had been looking for a zookeeper for 
years. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've I've been in this hobby over a decade, and the one of the limiting factors really is is where I live. Uh, just because of me being in, in a rural area, there's I, I'm not really around a whole lot of operators. I'm not really around a whole lot of warehouses or anything like that. So. Mm-hmm. So finding games has always been a bit of a challenge for me, and, and it takes time. But over time, I've, I've been able to, to find everything that I've wanted. Mm-hmm. Zookeeper was actually uh, found by a, a referral via, via a friend of mine and was able to acquire it and get it. And it is an all-original cabinet, and mm. the interesting thing about it, it is 100% numbers matching. Oh, wow. So the serial the serial number on on every part of the cabinet, as well as the serial number sticker on the tube, on the monitor, everything matches. So wow, not cool. a single thing, not a single thing has been touched on this game from uh, from from the day that it was ever released. So the manuals were in it, all the paperwork was in it, the wow. the Manila folder in the in the coin box. I mean. Absolutely, one hundred percent pristine when it comes to documentation and in that. But the game had been on location. Uh, it had a few, you know, a few nicks and, and cuts and bruises and everything like that, and it was extremely dirty. So mm-hmm. what what I started on was uh, essentially disassembling the game and uh, and typically what I do and, and Vic I'm no I'm no master woodworker or master cabinet restorer or anything like that what I find joy in doing is uh, is repairing some of the nicks and the cuts uh, putting on new artwork if, if new artwork is needed uh, and I, I mean I can do the cabinet work it's no problem I've done it before on numerous occasions it's just as the years of war on I've just kind of lost interest in it due to the time commitment that it yeah. takes but yeah but but ultimately uh, it just needed a, a real good cleanup and uh, some paint repair in, in a few places and, and things like that but ultimately a uh, new control panel overlay rebuild rebuild the controls on on the control panel uh, and things like that. But it, what I ran into is that about uh, halfway through the project, uh, I ran into whether it be uh, busy periods at work or whether it be home repairs or things that would happen. And it just seems like I have always had something sitting in front of me that does not allow me to get back to the dedicated time to work on the zoo. Yeah, I understand that. Now, now, now it, it, it absolutely slays my soul because it was one of my absolute favorite games growing up because I did play that game back in the day. My brother and I spent hours playing that game at, at a, at a small convenience market or a convenience grocery store, a very, very small grocery store. Um, you can almost think of it as like a petrol station without the petrol pumps. You, know, yeah. you go in and you can, you can get the snacks and the drinks and everything like that. But um, and it was in a small strip mall, but a game that my brother and I both vividly remember playing back in the day. So I've got I've got a high, high level of nostalgic attachment to this game. Mm-hmm. And I, I played it quite a bit before I disassembled it. And um, and it plays exactly as I remember it. And I loved it just as much now. I love it just as much now, um, if not more than I remember back in the day Brilliant. but uh but unfortunately i i just have not made restoring it a priority and finishing it a priority because because it's just been one of those scenarios where grace has gotten into the busy time with school and we've had to do uh a, a number of projects here at the house and everything like that but 
Uh, but Zookeeper sitting there, and the good thing about it is it's it's not going anywhere. Absolutely, it's just that yeah. I have I have just got to make finishing it a priority. So I, I hope that I can do that soon. I, I like I say, Vic, I look at it every single day when I walk here into into my workshop, yeah. and it, it taunts me every day. But uh, the good thing about it is it it can't get up and walk away. I just have to finish it. So there's when, that. When you were saying that. I look at it every day. I thought a swear word was going to just creep into that sentence. I look at it every day. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. in, in my front room at the moment as well, and you've been to my house, it's not it's not oh, a yeah. huge house. I've brought in um, a little sub-electro ISIS cabinet. It's those cabarets I've got. You know, I've got sort yes. of seven or eight of them. Oh, yes, I remember that. Yeah. And I brought in for the prime reason of giving myself a little room in my in my garage space, which is my arcade. And I thought, right, I'll bring it in here. And I'll work on it because I'm going to make it a dedicated Mr. Driller, which okay. is that cutesy Japanese um, block game. It's really cool. Really like the game. I've always loved the game. I've got th- all three games. I've got Mr. Driller, Mr. Driller 2, Mr. Driller G, which is the three in the series. I've got all three boards. I'm going to put them all in together so you can just swap them around very quickly and make a really cute little cabinet because it's really cutesy Japanese pink and blues and yellows. And it's a really colorful game. And I thought, right, I'm going to do a really nice job of this. And it's sat in there, and I've done virtually nothing to it. And I look at it every day. And now I've got this... I'm not on lockdown at all like you guys, but we are on Easter weekend, so we've got like an extra two days off over the weekend. So after okay. we've t- finished here, I might have to go supermarket shopping, but after that, I'm going to get in there and start doing a few things. I've designed a control panel for it. I'm going to get Ollie, Muddy Music, Arcade Art Shop to print for me. Yep. yep. I need to do... Um, a screen bezel, just put some characters around the screen with some colours. It's quite easy to do. I'm not a great artist, but I can use very, very simple art packages quite well. And then Ollie does his magic, and he makes them nice and vectors them and all that sort of stuff for me. And obviously a marquee. And another friend of mine, Rob Llewellyn, is doing um, a similar cabinet. He's making some from scratch, though, because he's he's got a little CNC machine. He's getting wood CNC'd up. And he's doing a slightly different, bigger machine, and he's putting... I think he's putting like a big Alpine stereo system in it with big subwoofers and all sorts of stuff. Oh, wow. He's yeah. really going to task on it. And I've been following on him on Instagram, following what he's been doing. And it's really nice what he's been doing. He's all rendered up in 3D and everything. It looks really cool. So I'm hoping sort of, I think he'll probably finish his before me, which annoys me a bit because he started way later than me. And I need to sort of get on and do that. So I'm in the sort of same boat as you with Zookeeper. And I, I, I really want to get that done. And then, but it's motivation with me because I've been doing... A lot of um, these Vectrex arcades, I bang on yeah, about them on the you've, podcast. And, you've been busy. You've been busy oh, with that. Haven't yeah. I just? And I sort of I start these the, the the Vectrex ones. It was the asteroids, and there was two different types. You know, different um, overlays. And I thought, oh, I could do a space fever, uh, uh, a space jewel one, which is the red and the green different ones. So I did those, and loads of people asked me for them. I'm like, okay, I'll finish those. I'm waiting for some stuff for them now. And then I stupidly thought, oh, I'll make a joystick as well. And then everyone wanted those. So I'm just making rods to my back, left, right. And so I've got so many rods on my back, it's unreal. And then and I started doing spinners, and there was another one. I was like, Victor, you need to stop doing this. Even though I like making them, and I'm selling them to a lot of people, and a lot of people are getting a kick out of it, I need to just calm down and go back to the arcade a little bit. But making the joysticks <laughs> is quite fun doing it. And the worst part about it is, when I've made them, is getting money off people through PayPal and stuff and finding addresses and packaging them up and taking them to the post office. That's the worst part of the whole thing. Everything else I love. it takes so much time. It really it's does. It's so time-consuming as well, yes. And when you've got four or five boxes to take down the post office, I, I tend to... 
do them online. So you can pay for postage online. You put in you know the weights and sizes and print yourself a sticker or whatever. But then you've got to go down there. And at the moment, I tried to take a box down there, really, just a single one. And there was people coming out of the post office because everyone's you know social distancing and you can't go in more than one at a time. I thought, no, nah, I'm going to leave that. I'll go when it's quieter because there's, there's that much to do. But yes, I've been doing a lot of that lately. And I went in my arcade the other night and I thought I went in just to get a tool or something. And what I usually do when I go in the arcade because uh, I keep my big toolbox in there, is go, right, I'll have a quick game of this. So I'll just turn Dig Dug on for a second and have a quick game. Or I'll turn Cuba on, usually Cuba. And the other night I thought, oh, I'll put my Space Invaders table on. I'll have a quick game of, you know, Balloon Bomber or, you know, Lunar Rescue because I've got the multi-kit in there. Turned it on, monitor's broken again. I was like, oh, for God's yeah. sake. It comes yep. on, but there's just white rascal on the screen. I was like, I've only just had that fixed. It might, it might be just a, a cap problem. That's another thing I have to do. I don't like knowing something's gone down and then leaving yeah. it not working. I like it to be working, so I need to get that going again because I do play that one quite a lot. So that's another thing that sort of hit me. Is, oh, goodness sake, I have to do that now. And I'm not great, especially with old black and white monitors. Yeah. I've, I had it fixed by our, uh, our friend Mark. Uh, Alex and I, my friend Mark, who's real good with the old monitors. Oh, yeah, yes. I, I know who you're talking about with Mark, yeah. Yeah. So he, he did say that one or two of the caps were sort of nearing the end of their life because he checks them rather than just replace the whole lot. And hopefully I can just replace a few and that I'll have it done. I've, got, I've actually got the, the capacitors ready to go. So there's that. Yeah, work has been obviously not been, not been stopped from work. Otherwise, I would have done a lot more at home, possibly. So I've been you know, finishing off Vectrex joysticks. I've got a load released for people. I ordered about another £500 worth of parts because there's got a lot of parts I'm getting. I've got a big box of another 25 boxes ready to go in, in my car. I need to start you know, drilling them at work and stuff. And I've also been doing a lot on the 3D printer because what I do with the joysticks is I replace the, the octagonal gates because I use like the Sanwa-style joysticks. not an original Sanwa, but they're roughly the same thing. And I been replacing the gates on the bottom because the gates on the bottom are naturally four and eight way but what i like to do is make an octagonal gate i 3d print them and so when you when you push your joystick into a, a diagonal it goes into a little into a groove you know into an octagonal groove so you can't really mm-hmm. get in and it works like when i've got about 10 or 12 of them here so i've been print, 3d printing loads of stuff i've actually worn the table out on it i've got to get a new a new sort of print bed for it because i've worn it it's got a hole in it now and i was going to say <laughs> to you another one is i've been following your 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 escapades on the podcast and you did buy a creality 3d printer which is similar to my one i think have you taken yes. it out of its box yet victor i have not <laughs> and so so here, I didn't here's think the so. thing no 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 and i, I hey I, i'll tell you what uh, I'll, I'll open my kimono and, uh, and and talk about the good and the bad so that that's no problem <laughs> uh, i will say this i i I bought that after, um, after well, definitely listening to your show and, and what you've been working on. And then uh, my co-host, Brent, he bought one as well. Mm-hmm. And that that really kind of spurred me to do some research on on, on 3D printers. And the, the Creality line, I, I think I think it's a, a very, very good choice because there's just – there's so many mods that can be done. And, and there's it, it seems like it's, it's a very DIY-friendly type of printer, mm-hmm. but it also requires a bit of DIY investment on top of that, which I, I have no problem with or anything like that. It's just that uh, I bought it because I, I'm the type of person that when I get ready to do something, I do not want to wait on – 
on shipping something or anything like that. I like yeah. to have it here at the house and be ready to go in case I want to work on it on a, on a Thursday evening or something like that. And I found a good price on it. So I know I've got it, but I, I still have to get it out and set it up and everything. And, and it's almost one of those scenarios where it's like, I know that if I, if I jump into that, then then it's going to be at the cost of some other things that I've already got in flight. Yeah. And I'm really trying extremely hard not to not to start three more projects while I still have three while I still have three going. So only three. I, I've got about ninety seven projects. Yeah, it's a, I say I say three trying to be uh trying to be kind to myself because yeah. it's actually it's actually like eighty eight or something like that. It's nuts. Yeah. And but I do it to myself. I I, I do I, I just get so enthusiastic about things that I see and things that I read about and what I, and what I want to learn about that it creates a little bit of self-induced uh, ADD, quite honestly, when it comes to projects. But yeah. the good thing about it is, I mean, I, I finish, I eventually finish what I do and, and I tend to think that I finish it at a high degree of quality, I guess is probably yeah. the best way to say it. I don't know that it would be craftsmanship because I wouldn't consider myself a craftsman at, at any of this per se, but I, I do put a lot of time and effort and, and, uh, in, in a lot of care into what I do. So that makes me a little bit slow, but, uh, but ultimately I, I do really enjoy, enjoy the projects. It's just, man, it's just, there's, there's not enough time. Point in case uh, is the skyskipper you and Alex did. You did an absolutely yeah. fantastic job on that. And that is finished, done. And it done. goes to shows and it's shown off, which is lovely. Same with Alex's one as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm so proud of that. Mm. I mean, that's one of those projects that will go down in, in my resume of the hobby or whatever is probably one of my greatest accomplishments. And so I, I just cannot, cannot underscore the, just the love that I've got for Alex and, and the work that we did on that and just the help and the support that we had. I mean, Vic, from you, the community, the podcast community, the, the, the community in the UK here in the US, I mean, it was, there was so much community love for that. Mm. And it was one of those scenarios where uh, I, I just, I don't see how anything could top that. It was, yeah. it was absolutely amazing. So yeah, that one, that one's done. And you know something, there's still work left to be done on that project. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's, uh, w there's a lot of research and documentation that, uh, work that I've been doing just since we've done the reveals and some that I still need to get up on the skyskipper project website and oh, cool. skyskipperproject.com. So yeah, it's, it's far from done. Uh, it's just that I've not really had the, uh, the dedicated time here over the past year or so to really sit down and put, uh, an eight hour or a 12 hour block into working on getting some additional content up on the website, but I, I have it and I've been doing some oh, work brilliant. on the game, some research work on the game. So there, there's, there's more to come on that. Cause I, I, I was obviously following it um, from more personal side with you, you and Alex behind the scenes. And it was incredibly interesting, you know, all the sort of trips you made to Seattle to Nintendo of America and all the stuff behind yes. the scenes there. And it was it was one of those things. It was like nobody really knew what was going on with it. And it was this funny little game that, that never really happened. And then there was just a, a whole host of things that went on with it. And it was great. And I really enjoyed it. And it's also put me on to another company, Universal. Uh, mm -hmm. I've been on a Universal fans uh, Facebook page as well. I'm not sure if you're on it, but it's worthwhile doing. And there was a lot of Universal stuff that never came out in Japan and obviously in America. 
And there's some games that people have been finding out in the wild that were never sort of released. And, and hopefully someone will do a, a Sky Skipper, inverted commas, project on that. There's one called, um, I think, Mr. Dyke, no, Mr. Mr. Shotgun or something. Mr. It was Mr. Gunman. Mrs. Dynamite. And there's a, a fun, uh, there's a load of Universal games that never saw the light of day in the West. Whether they came out in Japan or not, I don't know. But that is a really interesting site as well. Hopefully people, they have bought, they have got hold of some of these boards and I'm not sure if they're going to be trans, translating them to MAME. Hopefully they will because I want to play them. They look really good, some of them. And I particularly like the early Universal games like Ladybug and the Mr. Do series and some mm-hmm. of the quirkier ones like the you know the Cosmic Avenger and Cosmic Alien and those kind of games and Space Panic. I love the older Universal games. And it sort of reminded me of, of your quest for the Skyskipper and what Ikigami did because Ikigami were doing games not just for Nintendo as well and you probably know a lot more about Ikigami than I do and their early games really appealed to me as well because they were quite simple yes. games like Space Invaders games and, and all that sort of stuff and I love yeah. those games it's sort of like, like Space Launcher it's one of my favourite Nintendo games I love that game so good Space, La- Space Launcher is brilliant there's no doubt about good. it I, yeah I, I really wasn't that um, that exposed to that particular game until I would say really until we we got onto the Skyskipper project and then I started doing a lot more research on Ikigami and mm. then Alex exposed me to some of the games and then you go back and you play through the catalog and everything like that and it's it's just absolutely amazing how good some of the games are. Uh, yes, yeah, some some of them are, are definite are, are different copies of some of the some of the the, the Taito releases and some of the some of the early arcade releases here in the states. Yeah, but they have their own they have their own charm to them. And, and, and Victor, so many of them we never saw in the arcades here. Okay, Space Launcher, Space Fever. Yeah, you know, I, I mean. Um, all of those. I'll just I'll just put quotes around it and just say all of those. All of that generation of games uh, just never really made it to wide release here. So I never saw them in cabinets. Uh, never saw radar scope uh, here in in the U.S. in, wow. in a cabinet uh, back in the day. Now, of course, you see them at shows now and everything from time to time, but still don't even really see them that often. Right. But I would say almost anything. Uh, anything before radar scope uh, for all all the arcades that I visited back in the day, um, and I did visit a few after I made it into college and, and would go on some road trips with friends and stuff like that. But but by that point, the arcades were in their decline. So I, yeah, I just never saw those titles. So I had to go back and pick them up via MAME and then do some documentation and research on them and everything. But yeah, I, I found the group that you're talking about. It's called Universal Arcade Fans, yes. uh, UAF. Yeah, so I just I just joined up. But you're right. I hope that I hope that projects like Skyskipper can continue to be done mm. so that we can get some light shed on some of these lesser known but certainly worthy arcade titles because you go back and you play skyskipper today and so many people are playing it for for what i consider recently the first time Mm. and and you do see that it is a quirky game and it is and it is a game that doesn't feel exactly finished but the game stands on its own for what it is and you do develop a, a, a a sense of nostalgia recent nostalgia for it because it does take you back to the days when donkey kong was new Mm. and junior was new and things like that the sprites the graphics the sounds just the motion it 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 
it's it's the new old is what it is and it helps to bring that feeling back i mean i know it does for me i have more appreciation for junior and donkey kong and dk3 and everything after doing all the work on skyskipper because it it has forced me to relook at those games through through a, a renewed lens, so to speak. And yeah. I, I do hope that that can continue to happen because it needs to happen because there's so much of there's so much of this industry's history that is just I mean, it's just fading away day by day. Yeah. And especially with the Japanese stuff as well, because it was quite a closed off area uh, all those yes. years ago. You know, people weren't just flying to Japan to go to arcades. It was an unheard of thing for us as kids. That's right. You know, there's no way we as a kid would have gone to Tokyo and gone to an arcade back in 1985. It just wouldn't happen unless your yep. dad was working there or something like that, or your mum was working there. I don't know. And also with, with the, um, the Ikigami games, I, I, I got a feeling they made some games for Sega as well. And they were just like a, you know, a sort of subcontractor who made these games. And they were absolutely brilliant. And nobody knows who made them. Who were the unsung heroes of Ikigami who made these games for Nintendo? Yeah, I, I mean, it's like who are, who were the developers? Who were yeah. the designers? Who were the people that did that, that did the the day to day assembly lo- assembly language programming for those games? Yeah. How were they developed? What hardware did they use? Why do we see what we have uh, in the sense of who at Ikigami thought that that was the marketable game, and why would Nintendo pick that up, so to speak? So yeah, yeah I mean, I- Ikigami is entire organization in this entire level of subculture almost within the arcade scene that flies completely under the radar yet they yet they had such a extremely strong influence mm. in what we consider the golden the golden age of arcades they're yeah. they're all they're literally one of the unsung heroes of the of the arcade culture yeah and you don't even see ikigami in the credits it's just no. nintendo isn't it that's exactly right you you will know as well as I do that Ikigami still exists now as a high level monitor and I think phot- photography company they do sort of like security cameras and underwater things for you know all sort of visuals even nowadays so yeah they do yeah they're they're a high end uh, AV company as I understand it but their lineage and and where that uh, and really where that lands from their work on the arcade in the arcade scene finding somebody who would even know about the full history of ikigami mm. i i just feel like it's 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 nearly impossible but man what a fun project that would be mm. to document the ins and outs of ikigami the rise and the fall of the arcade era ikigami and really what went on behind the behind those walls mm. i mean i find that to be just just if not as more interesting as um is anything that went on at nintendo or anything that went on at bally bally midway and um and everything like that and you're right vic it's because so much of that was done in japan or released to the eastern market first that makes modern day information almost impossible to find almost impossible you better learn japanese first and then get your bottom over there that's probably the way of doing it yeah, and then you've got to hit the streets and and see if you can see if you can turn back the clock forty years yeah. and find anything anything that, yeah. that in people that would uh, that would have any information. Mm. From my vantage point, sitting here in Kentucky, it would be an extremely extremely challenging <laughs> yeah. thing to do. Skyskipper was hard enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The other thing I've been doing lately is because I've had sort of a month uh, to to prepare for this podcast, so I think that's probably what I think I'm going to do going ahead with the podcast without Sean and obviously 
guests like yourself is do it monthly because yeah. it has been giving me a lot more time to actually play the flipping games. So I've yes. been playing quite a bit of Funky Fish and it's yeah. Oh, funky Fish. Good old Funky Fish. Yeah, Good it's old it's fish. it's quite fun. Uh we will talk about that later on obviously. And the other thing I've been doing recently is I've been watching my wife working very hard for a raccoon overlords. Okay. On Animal Crossing. It's the big thing. I didn't realise... I've never played Animal Crossing. I have no, no desire to play it at all. But it is one of those games I like to watch and comment on and help out with. Are, are the ladies in your house playing Ra- Animal Crossing? Oh, my gosh. Uh, my daughter, uh, my daughter Grace, yep. she uh, she is a big fan of the Switch. Yep. And she, uh, she got Animal Crossing. Uh, we pre-ordered it. And mm-hmm. she got it on the day of release. And she has dug into it uh, something serious. And so, yes, she is playing it. And my wife Jackie has uh, has expressed some interest in it. We'll see if we'll see if I can get the two of them to sit down and give it a go, and, <laughs> yeah. and actually and actually uh, dig into it. Jackie Jackie's not a big arcade or console player. She loves to play pinball, but yeah. she's she's not really a big video game person. Mm-hmm. But I think if anything might might help her to uh, to to show some interest i almost think that animal crossing would be it because mm. i i've sat down and watched grace play it for a bit and it's very interesting i i mean i don't think that Heck i would yeah. necessarily enjoy it or mm. i'm sorry want to invest the time in it on a personal level i mean breath of the wild is definitely more my speed than animal crossing yeah but 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 grace grace likes it she likes it a lot I was talking to my brother yesterday, and he he was a a, a Nintendo NES kid. I bought him his first NES because he's like 10 years younger than me as well. And we were talking about that, and I said, oh, do you know anything about Animal Crossing? And he went, no, what is it? And I started explaining to him, and then I went, hold on, back up. You need to know this first, and hold up, back up. You need Because it's it's not a complicated game, but there is a lot to it. There is a heck of a lot to it. I mean, there's... It's almost like a, an RPG grinding game. You go around, you, you find things, you sell things, you make things. Yep. But there's there's when I was start, I was watching Tori play it, and she was doing this. I said, "What have you got to do that for?" And I'll do this, and you got to do that, and you got to give this guy this. And you got to put. I was like, "Whoa, hold on!" Man. And I was looking on online about how to do certain thing for <laughs> it's, her. It's so and I went, complex. Whoa, hold on! You can cross pollinate flowers. What? And then you got to do. Was, oh my god, this is so. There's so many things to do in it. Yes. Oh, and yeah. it's also seasonal as well. So obviously it connects to the internet and does updates and stuff, but it's also seasonal. So at the moment in April, there was like two weeks worth of, of Easter stuff, you know, with eggs and the Easter bunny and all this sort of stuff. So you've got to do things with eggs. And then later on, certain things will happen. So you won't be able to find a certain creature for another six months because it's out of season and something else will go on. And I'm sure at Christmas time, there'll be some, you know, things going on with snow and, and it's, it's really clever. And it obviously, an underlying as well, it's sort of almost like a stealth learning game for younger people, whereas you, you'll, you'll get these creatures and you'll find things and you'll, you'll make stuff and it will tell you a bit about them if you want to know. So it sort of adds in a little bit of stealth learning as well, which is great for younger people, I think. And I've got no desire to play it at all, but I love watching it and I love commenting exactly. and helping as well. And even yeah. when wife and I were talking out, we were walking the dog earlier and we saw some, you know, some wildlife is it have you got your net with you you've got your your flimsy net to catch it and stuff like this and she knew exactly <laughs> what i was talking about it's almost like yeah. a different language again yeah 
It, it is. I mean, it's, it's like, do you, do you have your pole where you can hop over the stream <laughs> and get to the, yeah. get to the other side of the stream? I've watched Grace do that, yep. you know, 10 times where, where she'll, she'll take the, she'll do her little pole vault maneuver across the, yep. across the stream over to the other side of the bank and everything. Yeah, it's, it, it is. It's interesting. I, I think Nintendo does, uh, a, a very, very good job of subvertly getting those types of education yeah. and th- those types of, of family-friendly messages in their games, mm. at, le- at least their first-party games. So, uh, yeah, I see, I see what you're talking about there, and I, I think that I think that uh, Animal Crossing, for all the hype that it was, it I can see why it lives up to the hype now. Yeah. I, I, I did not get it at all uh, in just reading about what it is and, and how the game is played and the world that it's in. But then you see it executed and mm. it's, oh, they, they did a very good job at that. It seems like, it, se- it almost seems like a game where you don't have to do anything. You can just mm-hmm. potter around and do what you want, or you can, you know, go and chase the tarantulas for all the money and, it's, it's just it, it, it hooks you and i like it when you sort of you read about it or you see it in in black and white and you go that's not going to work and then you see it in in real life and you go hold on a minute who invented that's this brilliant. they must be billionaires for inventing this it's yes, so good that's exactly right yeah, yeah. it's the kind of thing that i don't care about but i will want her to get the next one when it comes out in a few years time i so you've got to get it you've got to get it yeah, exactly. And it's one of those scenarios. It's like score one for Animal Crossing because I never thought that it would it would be a game that should even exist mm. because it, it it's like who was asking for this? But then you see you see it executed, and it's like this is this is gaming done well. Yeah, yeah, it's clever. Arcade news. Because of everything that's going on in the world, the crazy things that are going on in the world at the moment, there's not been that much news as far as I know, especially in the arcade world. But um, in gaming in particular, these two have really interested me. There's a Mr. Driller Drill Land coming to Switch on the 25th of June. I'm definitely going to get that. I might even pre-order it. I want the physical of that. Oh, I did not know that. I'll take a look at that. Yeah, yeah. I think Grace will probably like it because it's a simple arcade game. Loads of colours. Really cool little game. Very cutesy. And I think Dad will have a go on that as well. It is a great... I love it. I really like it. <laughs> the other one is uh, there's a new Shantae game coming out. I think I put you and Grace onto Shantae the last time oh, I saw yes. you. There's oh, a new yes. Shantae coming out. And it's on Switch, but it's also on the, the other modern consoles as well. And that is a game I really love. It's a really cutesy platform game. And it's yep. got a lot to it. And it, it, it's absolutely amazing. I love it. It's one of my favourite games. Uh, the other thing that's been happening, this is not real news, but um, the 10 Pence Virtual Reality Podcast, did you read about that on Twitter? <laughs> no, sir, I did not. <laughs> it was it was an I'm April the 1st thing. News? It yeah. was an April the 1st thing. I, I mentioned the night before that um, people should join us at 12 midday on April the 1st for the, for the 10 Pence <laughs> VR podcast. I mean, I said to everyone, oh, you would have to join us in a virtual reality and I only picked up one person who, who direct messaged me saying, oh, where is it? What do I have to do? And I went, it's not real. <laughs> and they went, oh, God, you got me. <laughs> but one of the listeners, uh, also another podcaster, Sol, uh, Yorkshire Sol, I, he sort of said jokingly on Twitter, how do I get onto it? What hardware do I need? And I said, oh, you need a VR headset. But if you haven't got one, you can just strap a, you can just gaffer tape a phone to your face. And the next thing you knew, <laughs> he had parcel taped an iPad to his face and sent me a picture of it. <laughs> I will, he sent you a picture. I will That's put awesome. the picture in the show notes for everyone to look at. 
Oh, uh, that's, that's yeah, lovely. that was very funny. I, I thought it was brilliant. And Sol's also been doing these um, how to get around the pandemic with his tips, and they're absolutely stupid, and they're meant to be. They're really good. A lot of the arcades, well, I think all the arcades in reality, because of the, the COVID-19 pandemic, are shut down. And obviously, because they're exactly what you don't want during a, a, a virus crisis, they are places where people are supposed to hang out together, and that clearly does not help with the virus spreading. However, yep. Doc Mac uh, has been sending out video walkarounds of himself in the Galloping Ghost with, on his on his own, just walking around, and he's been uh, keeping friends and customers in the loop uh, with news about the arcade and updating what he's been repairing, because well, they've had some downtime. He's been going on on his own. Because Doc basically lives there anyway. He's there like seven days a week. He's so dedicated. He's been doing like lots of little niggly things that, that, that needed to be done. He's been fixing stuff, repairing stuff, you know, preparing more artwork, preparing the new games for the. They used to have a like a every week a Monday reveal. So he's been preparing all those kind of things, and it's it's amazing the dedication this guy puts into it, and it's it's absolutely lovely. I absolutely love it. And uh, people should check out Doc on the Galloping Ghost Facebook page and see what he's doing. Because he does like live updates at certain times of the day. And it's, it's really nice to see him walk around um, the arcade. Uh, unfortunately, empty. But yeah, he's been getting a lot of work <laughs> yeah. done there. So you know, Arcade Club in the north has is, is been on lockdown and closed for a while now. Everyone's at home, you know, trying to do little bits from home maybe with the Facebook stuff. And they've been doing... I mean, uh, Arcade Club have been recently doing a what's the best game and people have been voting in and out games against each other. Recently it was Rampage versus Nemesis and they've been voting in that to try and find the best video game ever. And so hopefully they've been sort of keeping everyone interested. And when this is all done and dusted, hopefully we're all going to have massive parties all over the world in the arcades and get back together again. I hope so. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. So is, is anything you've noticed recently in the arcade news? Any, any new pinballs coming out recently up your end? Well, on on our side here in the states, there there's been a couple of new releases. Um, mm-hmm. American Pinball, which is one of the new upstart. Well, I, I wouldn't consider it "quote unquote" them new, but one of the upstart pinball manufacturers. They right. just uh, within the past month have uh, shown pictures of a Hot Wheels pinball. Oh, machine very that, good. Yeah, that's that's going that's going to be coming out, and it looks it looks fantastic. As you can imagine, there's a lot of orange and a lot of blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, on on the Hot Wheels machine, there's a lot of red and yellow. It's just very very uh, Hot Wheels s kind of color theme. Flames uh, everywhere. You flame flames everywhere. <sighs> checker checker flags on the How awesome. uh, on, on top of the flippers and everything like that. So um, it, it's it's one of those it's one of those titles that I, I think <laughs> I think is is it looks like it's executed better than I initially thought that it would be, but. Um, if if you go to thisweekinpinball.com, mm-hmm. uh, which is probably one of the one of if not the best places on the internet to to read about happening pinball news or current pinball news, they've got a full breakdown on the machine. Cool. Uh, as far as features and and uh, and uh, rule rule sets and things like that, but uh, but yeah, that's that's one. And then uh, Multimorphic is a pinball company out of Texas, and they have just revealed a, a new. Um, a new title called Heist. It, it's part of their. Uh, it, it's part of their modular pinball. Platform. Oh yeah. And yeah, yeah. And, and it looks. It looks like very, very fun. I mean, I, I personally, I don't have a multimorphic pinball machine in my collection. I don't really think that I'm there. I'm a buyer for for their product per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I totally respect the engineering and the ingenuity that goes into their products. And and Heist looks 
good. Oh, it wow. looks like it is fun. It, it's it's an old fashioned kind of kind of bank heist cops and robbers types of theme to it. So so yeah. So I, I think it's I think that one that particular title has got some legs. I hope it does really really well for for multimorphic. But but ultimately though, Vic with with the pandemic as it sits today, all the manufacturers have shut down. Stern yeah. has shut down. Spooky yeah. has shut down. American has shut down. Chicago Gaming and Chicago Gaming does a lot of the remakes, like Medieval yeah. Madness yeah, and yeah. Monster Bash, and, and and they they do the the modern the mo- the modernized te- technology inside uh, inside the the older the older title games, and they're just absolutely brilliant brilliant releases. But uh, but they they have shut down. Jersey Jack is shut down so everybody yeah. so pinball is really on a hiatus from a manufacturing perspective right now and as we were talking about at the top of the at the top of the show that that with having these companies be in business today that generates a lot of the news in the pinball world yeah and right now we're just we're just almost at a standstill so yeah. to speak well, hopefully the, the pinball workers and the designers are hopefully designing from home and, and getting ideas for new new themes and stuff as well. Hopefully, yep. and then they can just make them in the future because it is a, it's a time now for so. doing computer work at home, isn't it? It, it is. And, and you know something, Stern has been good uh, about that particular particular uh, topic there. Uh, George Gomez has posted pictures from uh, from his home studio about some design work that he's doing. And cool. Stern has actually done uh, some some pretty rapid fire uh, game code releases as well. Oh, so great. they've even yeah. just gone back and, and revisited uh, Iron Man, which is uh, which is a, a, a much older title for them. Yeah. And they they just released new game code for it so oh, I'm, cool. I'm just really pleased that, that they've taken the hiatus and they've been keeping folks busy with uh, with doing things like just refinement on on pre-existing games so, excellent yeah. that's really good recent pickups this next section is usually called pickups but we're going to sort of extend it to also known as spending whitney's money Yay! All right, so the tables are turned for once. <laughs> yes, because it's usually you trying to spend uh, Brent's money for him. Yes. So the first thing I've I've not got a lot of arcade stuff recently. It's mainly been been parts for making these damn boxes, these Vectrex things I've been making. So it's lots and lots of buttons and joysticks and stuff. But I've recently bought a laminator that is capable of doing what's called a cold lamination, so you can laminate a single side. So I can make my own small overlays for these Vectrex controllers. And these will just be, for myself, for one-offs and prototypes. I'm still... The quality and durability isn't quite as good as Arcade Art Shop, which I get my um, my production run stuff from, because their yeah. stuff is really good. It's, it's, it's arcade yeah, Ollie, quality. Ollie does great work. He, he does, does great indeed. Work. But yeah. just for getting a quick one out for myself, you know, for a one-off for myself or, you know, a customer who's asked for a specific... Uh, art package or whatever and i can just quickly knock it up myself it'd be great for that and but i'm still waiting for some um from laminating pouches to come in for that so i haven't even used the machine yet but it is single it's a single sided one so when you get a a sticky back vinyl to print onto with a print inkjet printer you then just laminate the one side and it sticks to it. i think it's just like a sticker but i think the the glue is is activated with a slight bit of temperature i'm not sure quite how it works or it just rolls on without any air bubbles it's that kind of thing i'm really interested in getting in and using it actually to make some of these things up they're quite handy it's only an a4 size one you can get an a3 sized one and it will only do up to 125 micron pouches and you can get up to 250 micron pouches 
which is 0.25 of a millimetre. That's a quarter of a millimetre thick, which is quite thick for something that, that to, to protect what it. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's that. I've also... Uh, I downloaded Doom 64 on the Switch. I'm a big oh, Doom fan. Yes. And Doom 64, Alex said to me a while back, are you going to get Doom 64? And I said, no, why? It's just the same game. He said, oh, no, no. It was it was quite a bit different on the 64. And I looked into it and went, this is for me. And it was about £4. It wasn't a lot of money. Okay. $5, something like that. And it's really good. I really mm. like playing it. It's hard work on some of the levels. I think I, think I prefer the PC version, but I... I much prefer the sounds and the graphics of the N64 stroke switch version. It's yeah. it even plays nicely with a pro controller, which is rather than a keyboard and mouse, which is something I never thought I'd ever say. Cause I was always a keyboard and mouse PC. Uh, you and me both. Yeah. Quake and, and doom of one of my favorite games back then, but that yes. game, if you haven't got it already, Whitney do yourself a favor and buy it. It's absolutely brilliant. I love it. I, I appreciate the endorsement because I have thought about it, but I never pulled the trigger because I, I, I feel like my, my memories of doom and quake, the, the memories are so vivid that I don't know if, if anything else would really match the sheer level of nostalgia that I have for those games. And, and I, I still have them for, for DOS and, yeah. and have, and have got them and port them over from machine to machine as I go from time to time. Yeah. But, I will give this a look because this would probably be right up my alley, and uh, yeah. I've heard nothing but good things about it. I, I've I've been getting right into it. There's one there's one level because they've sort of rejigged the levels quite a bit as well, so they're not the same as original as far as I remember. And one level was more like a puzzle. You got to work out certain things, and there's one bit I was just running around trying to find stuff. And I went, I've got to look on a walkthrough. So I got my phone, I got a walkthrough, I went, oh, for goodness sake. And it's, I think it's level seven, you need to use a walkthrough on that because it's one of these really obscure things you would never think of doing. And then, and then after that, there's like an arena level where you just you press a button and everything falls down and there's just tons of stuff around you and there's nowhere to hide. And you just got to keep moving. And that was a real fun eye. And I was like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? And I kept getting killed, kept getting killed, kept getting killed. And then I worked out how to do it. And it was like, ah, oh, brilliant. I know what I'm doing now. And it's, yeah, get it. You like it. For $5, it's so worth it. Such a good game. The later games for the Doom and the Wolfensteins and the Quakes, you know, the sort of super modern ones, I never played those because they seemed too too lifelike and too real. It just seemed like another third-person shooter to me, and I've never been into those. But the, the original chunky graphics 3D, I love those, and I still play them to this day. I even got versions that I compiled onto the, onto the Mac to play them on the Mac. But the the modern ones, they're just I don't like lifelike games. I like fantasy in a game. You know, I like I like pixels and I like bright colours and you know, silly things like that. So that's never really the, the more modern ones have never really appealed to me, but this version, excellent. Go get it. Yes, I will do so. Thank you for the referral. I mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give it I'll give it a look. Yeah, speaking speaking of, of Doom, I, I don't remember if I played Doom all the way through. I know I played Quake One and Quake Two all the way to the end right. because I think Quake came out fairly shortly after Doom, and Quake Quake seemed to have the better the, the better ultimate play mechanics, and I and I kind of gravitated over to Quake more and just spent more time with Quake. But both yeah. of them are just brilliant, as well as Castle Wolfenstein. So yeah. I, I'll I'll lump that in with the with a lot of them. Yeah. Listener feedback. 
So we've got a bit of feedback. Uh, Geoslake, uh, he says, so sorry for Sean's mum. Uh, there are such moments in life which make you think everything is meaningless, but what you do, guys, is important because entertaining people is one of the most important things. It actually helps them get better when they're down, even if it's about video games or whatever the, the other nonsense. We love you. Thank you, Geoslake. Yes, uh, that's so nice. And, and I, when I saw the news about Sean's mom, I, I just my heart went out to him. Mm. So I, I can certainly appreciate that where that feedback comes from. I, mm -hmm. I certainly hope, certainly appreciate that the cinnamon hope Sean's doing well, mm -hmm. him and his family are doing well. Yeah, we've got this next one here from from Paul McCaskey. Uh, Victor and, and Garen really enjoyed the latest Ten Pins podcast you guys did together. Thought it worked really well, and hope there are many more episodes in the future. Well, so do I. Uh, Jason Barber, <laughs> aka J Ping, or on this is talking about Funky Fish. This is an oddball. It clearly inspired by Defender. At first, I thought it was Punky Pish, but after a few goes, it got a little better. I can I can't see me going back to it though. Our listeners do have a lot of puns in them. They really do. Yes, and I love it because puns are puns are some of the the greatest gifts, uh, greatest gifts to humanity. But I will have to agree with Jason. Uh, after playing uh, uh, Funky Fish, I don't really know that I'll revisit it either, Victor. But I, I know we'll save that for save that for the game review itself. Oh yeah, it's coming. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so twenty to five, Funky Fish summarized. First game usually quite enjoyable. Always get to the same place on level four and die. Start second game, die early by some arguably glitchy feature where floaty crappy things disappear randomly and reappear on top of me. Switch off cab. Floaty things are wank. <laughs> <laughs> that is from uh, our listener and personal friend of ours, Neil twenty to five. Neil. Wash your mouth out with soap, young man. You horrible person. Yes, yes, and, and because I had to censor that one as I go, yeah. so I, I was reading. I was reading ahead while reading aloud, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I think Neil did summarize it pretty well. And this next one is from, uh, oddly enough, an American friend of mine, Mark Singletary. Hi, Victor and Sean, out there in Arcade Club land. Uh, I thought I'd share some happy news, which seems hard to come by in 2020, isn't he right? You and the listeners will recall my tale of woe from last year. He called it Kong-ageddon, where I restored a Donkey Kong Jr. cab to almost new, foolishly left out on a clear night, let it get rained on, and basically ruined it. And this is in Florida, which I don't believe they get a lot of rain anyway. Uh, fast forward to a couple of months ago, and a buddy doing on a, a game get to Georgia to pick up a Joust Cabaret cabinet, he called me and said, check eBay quick, there's a guy with a rough Donkey Kong Jr. cab for 50 bucks. My friend had room to bring it back for me, so I bought it on the spot. It was rough, but much better than what I had to work with on the first cap. I've used some decent social distancing time to finish it up, and I'm really happy with it. <laughs> I've included before and after pics, which he did, and they look lovely. This one will have a switcher in it, so I'll play Donkey Kong and Junior. Perhaps the best part of all this mm. is I've come up with something clever to do with an original cab, which will be to make it useful once again. The end result will be two long-forgotten cabinets back from the dead. I'll send some pictures when the project is done. Thanks, as always, for a great show. It's fantastic. I, I'd look forward to seeing those those picks. I'm I'm kind of curious as to as to how that actually turned out. So yeah, I'll pop them on the, the, uh, the, the Nintendo cabs are great. They're great to restore, but man, they can they can be some work at, at, at the same time. Yeah, I had um I had an orange peel one, um which my junior was an orange peel one, which was the um the the chipboard rather than the ply. 
Mm-hmm. And that doesn't yeah. look quite yeah. as good. It doesn't feel as nice. Board is what we call it over here. Yeah, and and but I love that cabinet. I, I do miss it actually. Yeah. It's one of those um, sellers' remorse I get now and again. When I think about that. I think, yeah, why did I get rid of that? I did love it. <laughs> Room mainly, I suppose. Uh, this next one was from uh, our friend Stuart Tracy, who runs the Time Warp Arcade in the, in the south of the country. And he said he saw ah. this on Facebook, instantly heard you guys in the back of my mind saying Alan, and it's a picture of a um, an Aliens t-shirt, but it's been made up as Alan, and it says, in yes. space, no one can hear you in space. So it's just a really <laughs> silly t-shirt. But when we used to call anything uh, with Alien in it, Alan's, that's what reminded him of it. Yeah, it's funny because it looks like the, the, the egg is about ready to explode, but of yeah. course you can never hear that. And uh, yeah, it looks like it's just outgassing something really strange and green. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I saw that and, and had, a, had a good chuckle at that. And, and you're right, that's a, that's a great pun. I should put that on the uh, webpage as well. Friendly shout outs. Two shout-outs for me. The first one is to Garen Tungay, uh, Retro and Shmupper from RGDS Pod and personal friend of mine, for helping me out with the last podcast, uh, which we did together. And the other one is uh, birthdays. So it was Grace's birthday yesterday, oh. I believe. Oh, mate. I, it, it was a uh, day before yesterday, actually. But right, yes, okay. yeah, it's Grace, share, she shares the same birthday as Alex does, April 9th. That's right, yeah. So, so shouts uh, to uh, Alex and also yes. uh, Davo. they got the same birthdays as well. They do. They do. Davo, Alex, and Grace, they all share the same birthday. That's exactly right. So yesterday was also my brother's birthday. So happy birthday, Aaron. I did ring him yesterday, and we spoke for ages. Oh, happy birthday, Aaron. Yeah. Any shout-outs for you, Whitney? So I would like to like to do a shout-out to, of course, my co-host, Brent. Yes. Uh, no doubt about that. So I'll, I'll have to uh, have to let him know. Of course, my, my, my buddy Alex uh, goes without saying there. Uh, shout-outs, I would say just to, just to all the folks that, that listen to our show that, uh, that hopefully have made it over here to listen to this one. And the list, is, the, the list of friends that we've made is just, it's just so, so long. But yeah. I, I, just, I just want to say hello to all, the, all of our friends in the U.S. and, and the U.K. and the rest of the world that are on quarantine. So I, I just say shout-out to everybody. How about that? I mean, it's kind of, kind of a weak shout-out, but in times like these, everybody deserves it, Vic. We'll just oh. leave it at that. Just a minute. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> when you say about friends, I must expand on that a little I, bit. I love that. Yeah. I must expand on that a little bit. Since I've been in this podcast for like ooh, eight or nine years, whatever it is now, it's a long, long time, I think. I can't remember. I've met so many people online, so many listeners ring in with feedback and people talk about the games. And I actually meet up with these people at shows. And, and sometimes I meet up with them a second time. And because I know so many people now, I forget. I, I remember I remember their face, or I remember their voice, I remember what they're talking about, and, and I go, it takes me a second to go, oh yeah, it's Dave, Dave, yeah, so, sorry, it's Dave from so-and-so. And it, it's, it's, it's not because I'm ignoring people, it's because I know so many people now, and it's so flattering to be spoken to, and, and people to talk to us, and, and bring us biscuits and stuff. So yeah, yeah. I, I echo your sentiments, so thank you everyone who's been listening, everyone who meets up with us, everyone talks to us, who confers with us, it's absolutely brilliant, thank you. It really is. And, and I'll tell you, I've got, uh, e- even for our show, I've got feedback in my mailbox that I have yet to respond to that goes back a few weeks. And wow. I try to be, I try to be good about it, but it gets away from me and I don't mean for it to, but I so appreciate everybody who writes in because it matters 
and it means it means something and and i do respond to everything i do i'm just i'm slower about it than i want to be but i try to make sure i give everybody a very um heartfelt and dignified response Mm -hmm. that that is uh that is representative of the time that they spent on writing in and so sometimes that does take me a little while to get back to it but ultimately yeah in these quarantine challenge times uh, shout out to everybody absolutely i i always respond to people whether it's on actually speaking about on this podcast or i reply to them personally i always try and respond always even if it's just a quick question about oh what do i do in my cab and i'll try and help them out but it's lovely to be asked and thought of as as having some kind of idea about what we're doing it's very flattering (laughs) well it is very flattering um the only thing that i can say is that uh, vic on on our show, um, we're we're a bit more we're a bit more generalized, so to speak. But we do we do feel that it that it runs for good quality and 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 let's say hopefully some entertainment. Yeah. Um, I don't know that we go terribly deep uh, per se as as some other dedicated hobby dedicated shows like some of the pinball shows go, but we we found a good listenership and and we love and we love love everybody when it comes to that. So I I wouldn't say that. Your your um your take on on left-handed screwdrivers and spigots and drywall are second to oh, none. Absolutely yes. second to none. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm very good at taking my angst out on inanimate objects. I will say that. But sometimes they <laughs> they take their their angst out on me. So yeah, let's put it this way, Vic. It's all well deserved. I, I I don't go looking for the fight. How about that? <laughs> he just looks for you. Absolutely. He just looks for me. <laughs> <laughs> Arcade Master Quiz. Whitney, enough of the hilarity and the jollity. I have got a difficult quiz for you. You ready for this? I I don't know that I'm ready, but uh, let's put it this way. I'll take the quiz. Now, if I fail, uh, just don't expect much. But if I pass, then you know something? It's a win for the show. How about that? Absolutely. Cue the music. Question one. What hardware does Zookeeper run on? It is a combination of Z80s and other other sound hardware that I would have to go look up. (laughs) I don't... uh, But what was the the general name for the hardware that Zookeeper runs on? Oh, the general name of the hardware. Yeah. Uh, as far as like the PCB class and everything, I, d- I do not know, Victor. I, I have not. I've not looked into that. You long-eared galoop. It was Kicks Hardware, Taito Kicks Hardware. I'll give you a chance to get some bonus points. Thank uh, you. Do you know another game or more that runs on the same hardware? The same Kicks and the in the Zookeeper hardware. Yeah. Hmm. I would say that I mean, it would likely be within the, the, the title line. Uh, I don't know if it would be something like Frontline or maybe Alpine Ski or Jungle Hunt or no. Jungle King, maybe something something in, in that line, but I'm not sure. Well, you could have had Complex X, uh, Cram, Space Dungeon, Kicks 2, or Electric Yo-Yo. There wasn't that many on that hardware. Mm, no, I wouldn't. I would not have uh, would not have gotten any of those. Okay, right. Question two. What is the main feature on World Cup 94 soccer pinball? What's the main feature of the table? 
Oh, the soccer ball. Yes, definitely. Question three. Who yes. made Mad Planets? Uh, Gatling. Easy. If you've got your own one, you should have known that. Question four. Yeah, fair enough. What is the size of a standard Japanese joystick's ball top? <laughs> you can answer this in Imperial or Metric. I don't mind. You'd be an American. Vic, I don't know. I would have to go back and look that one up. You long-eared galoot. And, and I did, here's the thing. I don't want to use Google. Or, or You're not allowed to cheat. use Google. You're cheating get. You're not allowed to use Google. The size no, is not. 35 millimeters. And for a bonus question, that's about an inch and a quarter. Uh, a bonus question. What other sizes are available for ball top? Um, I would say somewhere in the, you've got to be in the, in the low 38 to low 42 millimeters, somewhere around in there. I'm just going by what I remember seeing from like Mike's arcade, uh, Mike's arcade shop website on like some of the Donkey Kong joystick ball tops like yeah. that. I'll give you, I'll but, give you a, a half a point for that. For the Japanese joysticks, you can actually buy 30 mil and massive comedy 40 mil joystick ball tops. Ah, Question five, another pinball one for you. What was the first talking pinball? That would be Gorgar. Oh, well done, sir. That is correct. Yes. Question six. What colour are the snow bees on the first level of Pengo? The snow bees on the first level of Pingo. Yeah. I, I don't play Pingo, so this is an outright guess. Uh, light blue and white? You long-eared galoot. No, uh, they're green. Are they green? Okay. Question seven. What was the first pinball to have a coin slot on it? Oh, gosh, Victor. Going back a bit, this one. Yeah, I feel like that's got to be... Oh, my goodness. I don't know. You long-eared galoot! It's a game called Wiffle. Wiffle? Yeah. Interesting. Um, I think it's from the forties or the fifties. It's a really oh, old one. Oh goodness! Yeah, see that that to me almost feels like the Bagatelle era of, of types of games. So, question eight: What game can you draw your name on the high score table? Uh, that would be Quantum. Yes, well done. Question nine: What pinball is the only one to have six separate player score displays? Six. Six separate player score displays. The only uh, game ever to have it. Don't know that one. The clue sure. the clue is in the name. <laughs> I would have to guess something like Six Million Dollar Man. Yeah, yeah, it was. Ah, sweet, dollar. sweet. I, you know, I've I've only seen that one from time to time, and it never the six the six score to play score displays never really stood out to me. So uh, that one was that one is better lucky than good. How about that? We'll, we'll qualify that. That's probably why they never really made any more with six displays. If you, if you didn't even notice it, why would they bother? Yeah. Last question. Question ten. What is the game Russian Attack best known as in the rest of the world? Because mm. you would have known it as Russian Attack. Yes, yes, I do know it is Russian attack. Um, I don't, I don't know. Educate me, Victor. You long-eared galoot. Green beret. Ah, oh, green beret. Those two are the same games, huh? And you know something? I looked up Wiffle on Internet Pinball Database. Yeah. Nineteen thirty-three, Victor. Oh, how would you Nin- know that? I, I am, a, I am a horrible man for giving you questions like that, aren't I? <laughs> well, it's one of those things where it, it's it's knowing all of that off the top of your head. That's a challenge. That's a challenge. Yeah, definitely. I scored poorly. I didn't actually 
keep your score. But I'd say you you got about 145 points, maybe, probably. I'm sure our our robot will uh, chime in in a minute and tell me how many you got. Whitney scored five and a half points on your ridiculous quiz. (laughs) I I think it's probably probably four or five out of ten so not not a good showing actually some of those were quite difficult mind yes they were yes they were and now we have a word from our sponsor Three out of this world games from Atari, the number one video computer system with more games than any other. Everyone's gone Atari, the number one video game. Do you remember that one, Whitney? Remember that ad- advert for the it's obviously an American one. You know something, Victor? One of the things that I have recently started digging into um, is the advertising that was done for the Atari. 2600 and the Activision series of games back oh, in the yeah. 80s. So, so here over the past three to four months, this has almost become uh, what I would consider a minor obsession of mine. Right, it's a good find, one to have, though. Is, yes, yeah, is is finding finding these adverts and everything. Because because you are quite a big Atari 2600 uh, advocate. You you're quite a collector of those, aren't you? Yes, sir, I am. I, I love that platform. Uh, that in, in the Activision games are, are something that I get in my youth and have a fondness for even to this day. Mm. I, I was, we were talking about um, before we came on Mike about the 2600. And for me, I was saying to you earlier that, that there is a handful of really good games on the 2600. You know, they, they still play well nowadays. Yeah. But there, there was a whole dumpster of terrible games as well because it came in that period where they were just making shovel. That's where sort of shovelware started up, shovel. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at the first, the first, let's say, I guess the the, the first party Atari games, they were they were good. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely earlier on, they were better in my mind. Uh, some of the arcade ports were okay. Yeah. But it really took some of the third-party publishers like Activision to make the to make the console come into its own. Yeah. And then there were other publishers like M Network and Parker Brothers that did a really I thought they did a really good job with their games. Hmm. But there there were also a a virtual boatload or uh, I guess a, a shovel load of third-party publishers who just literally produced. Uh, crap for last yeah. <laughs> for, for lack of a better way of saying well put, it. Sir. well put yeah yeah and so there, there's there's a lot more misses than there are hits on on the 2600 yeah but but the the but the console is just so ingrained in american uh in, in u.s culture yeah. and nostalgia that it it stands on its own regardless of how it scores on the shovelware uh, category because the the game's the games that are hits are just they're they're just so good and I, I mean Victor I still play mine to this day. Yeah, I've got I've got um I've got a few actually I've got a few twenty six hundreds and I've got a little uh they, I think one of the the remakes um, was a little handheld one and I play that every now and again and I've put tons of games on I think I put all the games on on an eight meg SD card I found a really tiny yeah, SD card and it all fit on there right. but some of the some of the early arcade ports because the early arcade games were quite simple they do do quite well i mean space invaders was 
probably the first ever Space Invaders I played on a home console. And even though it's not like the arcade at all, it's still a very good game. I really enjoy that one. And Asteroids yeah. is good. Kangaroo's good. Centipede's good. Uh, Ms. Pac-Man's quite good. And if you you must have played some of the the later, more more modern homebrew games. They they recently did a oh, version yes. of Scramble. And I've got that on the 7800. I actually bought that from Atari Age. And the, the 2600 version of Scramble is... I don't know how they did it so well. It's really, really good. And the same goes for Boulder Dash. They released Boulder Dash on a 2600. And I wouldn't have thought that was ever work, you know, possible. But it's really good. I've seen it. It's very good. Yeah. Yeah, There's there are some homebrew developers. Probably one of the more notable ones is... Um, John and his brother, they, they're, uh, I forget his brother's name, but they, their company is called Champ Games, and his okay. name is John Champau. And uh, at least I hope I'm saying that right. Mm-hmm. And they have produced some of the more notable homebrews on the 2600. Uh, I mean, if you look at uh, titles like Mappy, if you look at Scramble, things like that, like, like what you're mentioning, Vic, yeah. they have just taken the art of the 2600 development possibilities and pushed it completely to the stratosphere yeah i, I mean I, I don't I, I mean i don't know the ins and the outs of development on the 2600 it's one of those it's one of those hobbies that i would at some point love to uh, dig into mm-hmm. and, and to go deep on but that's a time commitment that i just don't have but from what i've read uh those gentlemen uh, they take advantage of of programming let's say programming routines and and let's say ways uh, about methods and and ways about going uh, going through how they write the code and the utilities that they use and and things along those lines that that just really allow them to get the most out of the out of the hardware as possible I, i don't know um if they are using additional hardware, I, I believe that they are uh, using right. additional hardware, kind of like what Pitfall 2 did with the DPC yes. yeah, sound yeah, chip yeah. and in, in expanding the the capabilities of, of the console. I think that they do some uh, ARM development for, for their games oh, okay. based on what I've read on Atari Age, but I've not talked to them to really dig into it to that degree. But they're pushing, just suffice it to say, after that diatribe, they're pushing the boundaries of the hardware far, far further than anyone ever has in the past 40 years, and they are producing some amazing games. Yeah, because whenever I think of the Atari 2600 and what they're doing with it now, it always reminds me of, I think it was J, maybe J Minor, one of the original uh, designers. He said that, that that machine was designed to play Pong and Combat. And that yeah. was it. That was all it was that designed was it. for. And games that you know had like three moving parts or whatever it is on the screen, and that's it. And then you can see what they do with it nowadays. It's crazy. It is. It is. It's it's very impressive. And you just never would have thought that the console would have the the staying power that that it has. But you know, Victor, when you and I were uh, at Portland at the Portland Retro Gaming Expo yes. um, back in back in 2019. In November of 2019, and I know that almost feels like a lifetime ago, just yeah. based upon how the last four weeks have, have played out here on the global scene. But uh, Champ Games had a table set up at the Atari Age booth where you could go around and play all of their games. Yeah, they were good. And even some of their work in, their work in progress games. And they had a uh, work in progress of Zookeeper. I played oh, it. Cool. It was it was absolutely excellent. 
and uh, and they have just recently announced a work in progress uh, on a baseball game. And I'm not a sports game fan, but mm-hmm. I do remember playing um, M Network's version of baseball on the Atari 2600, and I did like that. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I will be looking forward to seeing what what Champ does with their baseball game, just surely due to the level of uh, craftsmanship that they put into how they develop their games. It's not that I'm actively looking for a baseball game, but I will certainly enjoy their baseball game. Ah, but Whitney, what you've done there is you've just allowed me to give you some more grief for wanting that NBA Jam one-up machine. Oh, and Uh-oh. you know what, Victor? I'll take that grief. <laughs> I'll take that grief because I still want that game. Do you really? Is, is it the online thing you want to play? Because yeah, I've it, actually seen those machines, and I, I, I give them a lot of grief. The reason is, when I was in America, uh, in Chicago, uh, with, the, with the lads, uh, I think it was before you, you visited us, we went into yeah. a, a, a game shop, you might have been with us even, and there was one out the front of the, machi- of the shop, and they weren't that old then, and this thing was absolutely trashed already. Yes. So the quality, I, I believe it has got better in those machines yes. lately, but... I just, I just thought, no, this is, this is not. If you like arcade machines, you shouldn't like this thing. It, it's, yeah. yeah, not for me. I, I get it. I, I totally get it. And I, the one thing that I will say is, uh, uh, let's say in in another time, I would have stood on the sidewalk and shouted at myself, <laughs> uh, just raving obscenities for Whitney. Why would you ever consider? What are you doing? What What are you doing? Are you out of your gourd? Are you thinking past <laughs> your own head? What What's going on? Yeah. But Victor, I will say it, it's it's the whole um, it's the whole presentation on that. NBA Jam cabinet and the fact that it does do the online play and and I think that it would be a good party game for whenever in the world we could ever have parties again who I knows can see maybe that, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what next year I, yeah mm. so so I, I don't know how that's really going to work itself out but I do have a friend of mine who uh, who I work with works at the same place that I do and he has bought a lot of the arcade one-ups. Oh, right. And Victor, he he said the same thing that you say, have said is that the quality on the early games was how, how would you guys say it? Absolute rubbish. Yeah. He said that the the artwork would wear off even even as your hands would sweat on the control panel overlays. Really. You would, you, you could actually over time smear the ink oh, and no. things like that. And so the quality control, I think, was a bit uh, a bit dodgy, and the the um, let's say the laminating process or the uh, the how they would prepare it for extended use wasn't really up to snuff. Mm. But he did he did go on to say that in a lot of the later models or a lot of later editions that he that he purchased that they had solved almost almost if not all of those early issues. Yeah. Now, all that being said. Um, I know that when the NBA Jam comes out, it's going to be a pricey cabinet. I will not oh. buy that. I will not buy that at release. I will wait for it to come down. But am, mm. am I still interested in it? I have to say, I am. I am. Yeah. What, I'm, what I think it might be quite cool as well is you know, you know, on the original cabinets like the, the Space Invaders and the Asteroids and the Pac Man, they they put like a one foot riser on it. You could buy a separate mm-hmm. riser. If it's yeah. going to be for basketball players, I'm going to make a three-foot riser to go on the bottom of it. 
<laughs> three up riser. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. No, I know that they are going to have a riser for the NBA Jam, and I, I would almost envision that as being a necessity, quite honestly. But yeah. I, I will say, Victor, I, and I freely admit this, I, I am uh, I'm a bit of an emotional person when it comes to when it comes to uh, these types of purchases, because if it looks like it has good appeal in a room yeah. or if it if it looks like it, it would be a standout type of game in a lineup, then in the quality of the art is there and the colors are vibrant and it looks like it looks like it had thought and care put into the production, mm-hmm. then that is one of the initial things that I look at when I'm getting ready to make a purchase. So something like that would appeal to me. Mm-hmm. And I freely admit that I'm a bit of an emotional buyer in those types of scenarios. Because if it connects with me on on that initial on that initial uh, viewing of it or that initial if it if it makes that connection with me, then that immediately makes me makes me be more considerate of it. And when I first saw the NBA jam cabinet, I'm like it was that bright orange with a really pretty basketball texture and the in the the artwork was was very bright and very vibrant. I, I just I, I did. I kind of fell kind of fell in love with it. Now yeah. my co-host Brent would say you never fall in love with anything. And I get that. <laughs> I totally get that. But uh, but Whitney uh, Whitney's a bit of a, a bit more of an emotional guy when it comes yeah. to that. So yeah, because being the theme of basketball as well. I mean, the UK we never really got into basketball, and you know I, I understand that 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 four player arcade game is is massive in America. When when I go to America, I always say to people the things you see over there are Ms. Pac-Man, Gallagher, and probably that game. Because they're very, very yeah. popular in America, so I, I understand it will do really well in America. But over here in the UK, I don't think they're going. Even if they bring it out over here, I don't think it's going to sell many. I don't think it would, uh, simply because it's just such a it's such a, an American pastime in an, in an yeah. American tenant, so to speak. I think the market is here, and I doubt the market is really much of anywhere other than here. Yeah. Uh, just it's probably the simplest way to say it. So now I've given you some grief over your basketball thing. We should get on to... Feature Game Review. Let's do it. This game, it was chosen by Garen. It's an odd one. I'm quite surprised he was gonna, he chose this, because I've, I've only heard of it <laughs> once or twice. And it is Funky Fish from Funky Sun... Fish. Funky Fish from Sun Electronics in 1981. It's going back a bit. It is. It is a vertical shooter that is for one or two players alternating. You control your fishy craft or creature, whatever it is, with an eight-way stick and one shoot button. Is that what? Was, is it a craft, Vic? Because when I played it, I thought it was honestly a fish. I don't that would, know. It's that, very that would, odd. It's so odd because I thought it was a fish that would shoot like bullets or laser laser beams or laser bullets or whatever and I, I could not see how those would come out of the fish and so from from credit <laughs> one and play one i was immediately confused about about the the, the mechanics of it well but, uh, but i'm sorry C- continue on my good man continue it, on this podcast was first brought about by me thinking oh we must do some obscure games because not a lot of podcasts cover weird games and we have done a lot of run-of-the-mill games as well but this one falls into uh-huh. the the fishnet of odd games boy doesn't it though 
So the main CPU on the hardware is a Zilog Z80 at, or Z, sorry, Z80, your, your present. <laughs> I Z80. really prefer the way you guys say it, though, quite honestly. At two and a half, count them, two and a half powerful megahertz. The sound yes. CPU is the same again. Uh, and the sound chip is the good old AY8910, which is a very popular sound chip. The video resolution is 240 by 256, which is a vertical screen. And the palette colors, 24 lovely colors. And it sounds just like this. Now, you control what I think is a fish in an underwater setting. At the top of the screen, you have a radar, if you think about Defender, which shows yep. your position and the position of the sea monsters, which you have to destroy. You also have a fuel gauge, your score, and how many fishy lives you have remaining. On the left-hand side, you have a bonus gauge. So when you move your fish around, I think on the, the flyer, it does say you are a fish. The screen scrolls horizontally left and right. The aim is to find the deadly sea monsters... And shoot the smaller, also deadly creatures that come out of it. Did you like my Boston accent then? You said that in a very Boston-esque kind of way. Manstis. See Manstis? Freaking Steve yeah, okay, fair, yeah, fair enough. Okay, I'll give you credit on that. Yeah. So when you shoot them, they uh, begin to fall to the seabed. They turn into delicious fruit, which is another odd thing about fish don't generally turn into fruit when you shoot them. No, no. In and the fruit reminds me of some of the fruit prizes on like Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man. I, I, as soon yeah. as I saw them turn into a little bundle of cherries and things like that, that yeah. that's what I immediately thought of. It's, Synonymous it's like, oh, with they, the Pac games, yeah, definitely. Exactly. It's like, and, and you go and you eat the fruit, and it's like, oh, that's very Pac-Man-esque. Yeah, that must be what they were getting on there, I think. Yeah. So if you let them hit the seabed, they turn back into the small creatures you awoke, and you've also awoken the dangerous seashell. Dum, dum, dum. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Now the seashell is awake, it fires out seahorses that cannot be destroyed, but will kill your fish on contact. When you've killed off the smaller creatures, the large monster turns into a gas pump. No, really, it turns into <laughs> really? a gas a petrol pump or a gas pump. Now, now here's the thing, Vic. Why do you need a gas? Why do you need a gas pump <laughs> underwater for a fish that doesn't run on gas? Well, of course I, I, you I, need I, that, I, Whitney. You silly uh, man. Of course, <laughs> I, I have no idea, mate. I have no I, idea. I had, I had no idea. I mean, I laughed out loud when I was playing this because, and Victor, I was playing it in Maine. Yeah. And I will say this: what I love about your show is it forces me. To, to go have a look at because I do I follow I, I'm one of I'm one of your silent majority okay mm-hmm. when it comes to li- when it comes to listenership because I don't submit for the for the score contest or anything like that but Vic I go and play probably ninety percent of what of what oh, your what your library has has uh, revealed or mm-hmm. exposed over the years and there have been some gems in there and there have been some duds in there there's no yep. doubt about it yep but um this is this is one of those that i would have never ever gone and played on my own had it not been here for the show um i don't know that i'll ever go back and play it again yep. but but on the uniqueness or the quirkiness scale not uniqueness it's very unique, but on the quirkiness scale, it on a one to ten, I think it registers at twelve, mate. Yeah. yeah. So when when it turns into the gas pump, yes, 
Yes. You've got to park your fish over it to vacuum up the bonus points, which is now indicated by the bonus counter on the left-hand side. It starts, I think, at 90 and then counts down when you, mm-hmm. when you, after you've killed this, the last creature. So get to the pump as fast as possible and wait there until all the bonus points have been taken in. Uh, it also refuels your fish because you, your fish has got a, a sort of quite a lax fuel gauge on it. And then you move on to the next monsters until they're all gone. Level done. Same thing on level two, but more enemies. And when you get to level three, it changes slightly, just for the one level. Handily, a small cutscene tells you what to do, just like the first game. Instead of shooting the fish with your bubbles, which it says on the flyer are bubbles, you have to use your... Yeah. You have to use your licky tongue to grab the small creatures to eat them up. There's no fruit this time. And when they're all gone, you latch onto the gas pump to slurp up all the bonus energy with your tongue. (laughs) (laughs) Which is even weirder. Yeah. Uh, level four really ramps up. It goes back to shooting with your bubbles again. It really ramps up the speed and also introduces the stupid swordfish, swordfish, that fires yes. itself at you after a short period. Level four and onwards are way, way more difficult. I mentioned earlier your energy meter, also pictured as a gas pump, which makes me think you're in some sort of fishy submarine thing. It takes a really long time for your energy to deplete. And if you take too long without shooting any enemies, a yellow monster, sea monster turns up and fires its own small creatures, but doesn't hang around after you've killed them to give you extra bonus, which is a bit of a boo. If you do run out of energy, your fish falls to the bottom of the ocean, dead. And you Wouldn't get... you think that a fish would float up to the top instead Whitney, of falling to the bottom? That is an excellent point. I've just, yeah, you're totally right. It would float to the top like a goldfish when you were a kid and your goldfish finally expired. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But hey, that's that's okay. I don't want to overthink this in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> I think you already have. Um, tips and secrets. Uh, unlike me, for the longest time when I was first playing this, uh, and I'm sure our astute listeners all worked out very quickly, you're meant to park your fish over the gas pumps that the monster turn into to receive all the bonus points. I thought it was just to fill up your own fuel energy thing, and then you went off again. So I was working out, trying to work out why I was only getting like 3,000 points for a whole game. And if you stand over them, or float over them, your bonus points add up until it disappears. That's what you're supposed to do. Mm. Also, another tip is don't let the fruit hit the seabed and release the stupid seahorses. They really do get in the way. And also, if they if they are floating up where the monster is when you kill it, it will deprive you of the bonus points. Because you can't hang around over it. You've got to move up the way and you'll lose bonus points. Uh, any Any tips you you might have thought of this game when you were playing it Whitney for the listeners a go of it probably five or six times Uh, I made it to the third level I think so I I did I didn't even make it level four Um, and so I was actually kind of meandering about the game a a bit and I I actually had to go and watch a YouTube video on it just to see if I was missing anything because It, because it, for me, it was it was partly like Defender and then partly like uh, a game on the Atari 2600 called SeaQuest a bit, where okay. you're in a submarine and you're shooting fish and capturing divers. I kind of thought about that. Yeah. And some of the mechanics were just were just odd. So yeah. Uh, no, I, I didn't. I didn't get the. I, I did not get the whole park your fish over the gas pump scenario. Right. Uh, until, I missed until it for ages. After, yeah. Yeah, yeah, until probably the third or fourth time that I played it. But, but Vic, I will say this. I, I just didn't really have enough fun with this to to want to go back and, and really dig into it like super, super hard. I, I yeah. just I enjoy the quirkiness of it, but I don't really think I enjoyed the game, the game 
of the game of it enough mm. per se yeah yeah well another thing i noticed as well and i think some of our listeners did later on in the comments is it's very similar to a game uh, sega made in the 80s uh, fantasy zone Ah, okay. I'll have you, to on on Fantasy that. Zone, it's, it's obviously a very colourful game, Fantasy Zone. Um, and what it is, you've got these weird creatures, because you're in the same sort of air, uh, mythical land as Space Harrier, because that's set in the Fantasy Zone as well. And you're in a little craft, little cute craft with feet. And you, these these um, baddies are sort of like hanging around, floating around. You've got to shoot them, and they throw out... A, a, a baddies as well aliens and you've got to shoot them until they disappear and turn into money and it's the kind of the same thing as this game has done like five or six years before whereas yeah. the, the monsters have these things floating around it trying to protect it and you shoot them and then you get the bonus out of the big monster in the middle so when i first played i went hold on a minute this is an early fantasy zone and it's sort of along the same lines but a lot more primitive now the graphics and sound in this game it's 1981 for goodness sake uh, very simple quite quirky looking things and because it only uses 24 colours, and it also uses the same font as Kangaroo, which of course I like, I mm-hmm. quite like it. It's cheesy, it's badly drawn, uh, but I really like it when you get hit by something. As you see, you turn into sort of like um, a cooked fish, and you see the bones inside the fish. Like yeah, yeah the bones. you do. I mean, you get you get like this X-ray effect, or this yeah. like this 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 X-ray fry effect. And yeah. I, the first time I saw that, I thought that was actually pretty clever because. Yeah. It was. It's those types of things that I appreciate because you can tell that the developers or developer took enough time that they wanted to code that particular sequence in for yeah. that particular effect in the game. And I thought, okay, if they had done more of that, then then I think I would probably like this, or it would be a bit more endearing to me than it was per se. But yeah. this is a kind of game that um, when I was a kid in the sort of early eighties. I would probably have found this down at the chip shop in the UK, in, in you know, where I lived. Down the end of my road, there was a chip shop and there's a load of chain of shops, like a strip mall kind of thing. And mm-hmm. the, every sort of month or so, they would they would swap in a game into another cabinet or they have another cabinet. And this is the kind of weirdo game would have been in that chip shop. And I, I probably play, if this came out in the West, which we don't know if it did, I probably would have played this in the chip shop. And we would have yeah. known known it as that weird fish game or something. And yeah. I would have played it. And I probably would have liked it because back then, physics and reality in a game, we didn't even think about it. It's, yeah, you're, you're a have. fish and you're shooting stuff and you've got to collect fruit. Of course you do. Everyone knows that. Yeah. And it's yeah. one of those and, kind and that, of games. Yeah, I, I know because that's part of the charm of it, really. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll give it credit where credit's due. I mean, I think if you were to look at this through the through the lens of of the the mid 80s, early to mid 80s, yeah. then this game would have actually had some uh, had some fairly redeeming qualities about it from the sense of oh, it's a game. It's fun. And yeah. I, so I don't mean to be super critical of it today. It's just that I think me looking at it uh, 40 years plus as the first is being exposed to it for the very first time mm. i'm not looking at it in the way that it was in the way or the era that it was intended to be viewed yeah. so I, I do want to make sure that i say that but ultimately vic you're talking about a, a chip shop i mean the bro- the the shop where my brother and i played zookeeper at was probably very close to what a chip shop would have been in the uk yeah uh, a small a small convenience market where you could go and get well we call them potato chips i'm sure you guys call them chip, uh, chips or crisps, crisps and, yeah. and things like that but 
but ultimately the same thing. And they rotated the games out probably every month to six weeks. And yeah. Zookeeper was every bit as quirky as something like Funky Fish mm, in, yeah. in so in so much so that it, it, it was it was execute it was a fairly fantastic idea executed as well as it could be on the hardware for the day, yeah. and you didn't mind the gap you pl- you didn't mind the gap in the physics or how much sense it made you just enjoyed it because it was a game that you had to play yeah. and and so in in that regard I'll give Funky Fish it, it it's due credit because I, I think that I think that it would have been a lot more fun had I been exposed to it in the time mm, yeah definitely i i looked for some cabinet art for this game um none that we know of uh but on the flyer which i put on the website and uh, website the flyer yeah. says the game was released in a cocktail cabinet i presume in japan because a lot of games were released on cocktails uh, i couldn't find a cab so i don't believe this game was ever either released in the west or it got a proper cabinet or maybe it was a conversion i don't know because um the company Sun, uh, Sun Electronics, which also made Kangaroo and Arabian and a few other games, was also known as Sun Denshi and was founded in 1971 as an electronics manufacturer and electronic equipment vendor. Uh, they also changed their name to, to a company well-known, Sunsoft, in the 80s and created a ton of console games and were still making games until not that recently, I think. So yeah, the Sunsoft. It was actually I didn't know this at first um, that Sun Electronics turned into Sunsoft, which is a very well known company. Very well known company, no doubt. And uh, you mentioned you mentioned Kangaroo, you mentioned uh, Arabian. I mean, two two great games that Atari published. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of kind of interesting that that the the same house <laughs> did this game. Yeah. But uh, but ultimately, it's uh, I guess it's kind of a. Kind of fitting. I, you can see why why it didn't really get a wide release, but hey, it, it's it's quirky. It's 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 cute, and it, it does have some redeeming qualities. But like I say, I, I just don't know that I'll of the vast sea of options that we have available oh, to us. I, don't I see know what you that did I, there. That I would, that I would. Hey, you like that? Yep. <laughs> you like that? Huh? See what I did there? Uh, I don't think that I would really revisit this. Okay, let's do some scores. Um, let's do it. And the corrections robot will fill in some more because we're actually recording a little before the deadline. Uh, and Sean actually texted me just before we start recording. Is is the deadline up yet? And I said, no, no, Tuesday. So if there's any more, we'll get the corrections robot to put them in. And I'm going to start down the bottom, Whitney, if you're going to do these these ones alternating with me. Uh, the first one at the very bottom is Alta Delta, Alan Delta Lima at 4,400. Yeah, and then we have Drumsy, and he's Drumsy says uh, thanks again for the arcade uh, for arcade sidekick, and he rang in at fifty nine hundred. It's actually me saying thanks. Uh, Drumsy is the author of the the app Arcade Sidekick. Are, are you on that, Whitney? I am on it, but I did not know that it was uh, drum. I did not know that uh, the author was named Drumsy. So that's, that's, that's the man. That's new for me. But yes, I do have Arcade Sidekick. Brilliant. Ah, excellent. Well, Drumsy. Thank you for Arcade Sidekick. I yep. thoroughly enjoy it myself. Yes. The next one up the list is Andrew Driver at 88,450. Then we have Matthew Bridge uh, coming in at 15,600. It's quite a jump. And then, sir, you, let's give you a 18,300 you got. That, that's the most uh, That's the most I could get, Vic. I, I tried mm-hmm. it. I tried, but that's that's as far as I could go. It's but not a bad anyway, score. It, it, it's, a, it's a score. So, 
Um, we got Boom Go Pinball, 24,500. And he says, something fishy around here. Then we have Jason Barber, who came in at 27,550. And he, Jason says, this is an oddball. It's clearly inspired by Defender. And I thought, I thought much the same thing with the radar and just how the mechanics of how the fish moves. Mm-hmm. And Jason goes on to say, at first I thought it was Funky Fish. But after a few goes, it got a little better. I can't see me going back to it, though. So I think Jason and I are on, on much the same page. Yeah, uh, Steve Tyke, 27,900. And then we have Old Man Steve at 29,000. What No Gravy, 32,850. What No Gravy? I love that name. <laughs> I, oh, I love that name. Benson Rad sneaked a score of 32,650 in after recording. Okay, we have Ed Horse at 33,200. Uh, Evoga, 33,700. Yeah, and One Punch Rob. Don't make him mad. Oh, no. One Punch Rob, 35,850. And we got our very own Sean at 36,450, and I'm sure he's going to try and top that. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. Knowing Sean, I'm sure I'm sure he will. Uh, Ian Cullen at 36,550. El Meatball, 36,750. I was wondering how I was wondering how you would say that. That's that, that's a good that's a good pronunciation. Saul forty thousand seven hundred. Uh, we have Brian Haribo and he got forty two thousand six hundred. And he says, "Remember the no eyes in games." So because of that, I'm out. And I do not know what he was talking about there. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Uh, Ross Ross forty three one fifty. Ross Ross got a better score a little later on with forty eight thousand one hundred. And Russ says, I missed the last show's games. Going to have a bit of time to improve on this 10P score. It's it's like a slightly dodgy fantasy zone. So, Victor, just exactly what you were you yeah. were saying earlier. Not a fan of the floaty enemy pickups. Yeah, they were a bit of a problem for people. Uh, Buttons yep. got 43,400. The host with the least. Victor got a score of 47,350. Thank you, sir. Uh, Sal Buglerissi, uh, 49,100. And he says, and I knew he would say this, this is it. <laughs> You've done it. You finally found a game that's worthy of being in the same sentence as Kangaroo. So fun and just the right difficulty to bring you back for more. Funky Fish <laughs> is a gem. Of course it didn't surprise me since it runs on the same hardware as Kangaroo. And Sal loved it so much. He entered a higher score of 53,900. Interesting. Well, Vic, I think uh, I think the show has found the fan when it comes to Funky Fish, no doubt. Sal really liked Kangaroo. I- I'm a fan of Kangaroo, but Sal loved it. It's one of his favorite games. I, I can appreciate that. I-, I played a lot of Kangaroo back in the day, and I even enjoyed the Atari 2600 port as well. I- I- yeah, it's good. I thought Kangaroo was a, a very fun. It's a good game. A very good game. Uh, Tronets. Uh, 52,550. That is so a high a score. score. And it got even higher, baby. It's a very good score. And Mr. 20 to 5, Neil at our Neil, 56,600. And um, at the top of the list, this came in, uh, I think, on Twitter. I can't remember. But this was quite a shock. Gary James Harris, a friend of ours, got 65,850. And he said, that's me done with this game. Great, but level five, can't get to the last pod of aliens. But it's so low to the bottom, it's really hard to get to them. Sharks flying in and the seahorse makes it impossible. Now that is a huge score. And I don't think anyone got past level five. And I'm still, at the moment, still waiting for a score from Charlie Farr. Did Charlie Farr get past level five? If anyone can, that lad can. 
Mr. Tronard's blew it out of the water with a final score of 85,600 and got to level 6. I don't see how level five, I mean, level four, uh, and I yeah. just saw level four on a YouTube video. And like I say, I played to level three myself, but level four looked like it got a lot faster. And I'm sure that after that, it, it just, it, it gets maniacal. I think I did level four and got onto level five, but I didn't last very long. I think, I think. The ports yeah. and sequels on this game. We were talking Atari 2600 earlier. Um, it never came out on it. It didn't. It wasn't officially released on Atari 2600. But somebody uh, found the code and released it later on through the Atari Age uh, store. And what I must just do quickly, I've got it on my phone. All right. I'm going to play the sounds into Let's the microphone of okay. what this sounded like. Because it was painful and it sounds a bit like this. Ow! It hurts! It hurts! Ow! <laughs> Thank goodness for that. You know, Vic, that despite despite all that, I still am sitting over here on the other side of the planet with a smile on my face because it sounds <laughs> it sounds like most every other Atari 2600 game sounds. And there's just a, a strange uh, fascination uh, with, with that whole with that whole hardware so yeah I, yeah I, any just, sounds I'll... on the tear chip which was in the atari always sort yep. of remind me of of a really angry cat in a suit of armor falling down some steel staircases <laughs> that's an interesting uh that's an interesting parable i would say that uh <laughs> for me it's it's probably a bit more of a guttural kind of uh kind of booming uh, capability yeah Paired with a very uh, xylophone type of triangle yeah. uh, capability, so it's almost it's almost like you have some. The, the music sounds like a combination between whatever you could get out of a bass drum, and then out of a xylophone or a triangle, and those are those are really the only three instruments that you have at your disposal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that does not make a very good band, does it? <laughs> no, no, it really doesn't. But but does it? Does it ring the nostalgia bell hard? Yeah, it really does. Yeah. This game was also advertised for the MSN Arcadia 20, 2001, but I don't think that was released. I have seen a video on YouTube, and I have included a video on the website for both for, for both of them for people to look at. So have a look on the website. I will have to do that. Now, the one... I say another pun here. Another bug bear of this game is there is a bug in this game where a baddie small fishy thing can warp onto you from a great distance away. So when you're shooting away at them, all of a sudden it's on top of you and you can't get away from it. It's unfair and it's very annoying. Also, the swordfish on level four and beyond is too quick and you can't defend yourself against this apart from get out of the way of it. And also with the seahorses, you can't shoot them. They just get in the way and try and get you. So the yeah. speed increase from level 4 onwards is also far, far too steep a difficulty curve on this game, making beyond level 5 almost impossible. It's like someone's turned up the throttling on MAME. It goes so quick from levels 3 to 4. Level 3 is quite fun because when you've got the licky tongue, it's quite an easy sort of... It's almost like a bonus game to me. Yeah, yeah, and, it was And then level bad. 4 is just, just ridiculous. So one thing that I noticed, Vic, is that Playing it on Mame, and I, I don't know what version of Mame you play with, um, yeah. or what what version you, you have available to you. I've not I've not updated mine in, in quite some time, but uh, but ultimately, 
my experience was that well i never made it to level four right. my experience with mame was that level one two and three the progressions felt fine yeah. no problems whatsoever yeah but um I went, I went and looked on YouTube, saw a couple of videos, and I, I believe that there's one video out there that's almost an hour long, wow. and it looks like it looks like the the speed is just turned up almost artificially fast, right? Because it it, it just looks like it plays so much faster than what I experienced myself. And I don't know if that's if, if that's a, an emulation setting or they've gone in and, and tweaked something or what. But there is one YouTube video that looks like it was recorded um, maybe off the game. I don't know if they're playing on hardware or what, or they've got okay. a specific version of MAME or possibly some CRT filters. And it looks it looks like it was it's recorded off of it being played on a CRT. Okay. And that's actually a really good video because it it is very uh, consistent looking and the sounds are, it sounds so much better than what the YouTube video of the main playthrough has. Quite Excellent. honestly. Well, you, if you give me that yeah. link, Whitney, I shall include it on the show notes for them to look at. Sounds I'll, great. I will, yes, sir. I'll put both in the show notes right now because, um, that's the type of things you find when you go looking for funky fish. Absolutely. Now, the last thing to do to do uh, on this game is annoy or enjoy. It's the thing me and Sean came up with for me. Enjoy. <laughs> I quite got into this game. I just a little bit annoyed. You couldn't get into it a little bit further beyond level four, like everyone was saying. And I, I said earlier, I particularly like the almost bonus stage of level three, Licky Licky Time. This is a simple game from 1981, and it shows, but that's why we like it. I yeah. like the quirky graphics too, and the fact it has arcade crazy physics and no logic to it, or, or... The developers were all smoking crack. I don't know. I'll, I'll let... <laughs> I, I won't say... Gas pumps underwater? What? Fish that turn into fruit? What? Seahorses firing seashells? Eh? But I, I enjoyed this. I, I liked going back to it every now and again. I've had all this month off to play it, and I've played quite a lot of games on it. But the only thing that sort of detracts from it, and it will probably stop me playing it again and again and again in the future, is you couldn't get to level 8 or level 10 or... You know, any further, and it, it seems like it almost seems like they turned it up artificially just to get people off it. Maybe, maybe they tested the game on location and th said, "Oh, these kids are playing it for too long." You know, 10, 10 pence or, or twenty five cents should only last two minutes on average. You know, to make money, three, le three levels, and that's it. Yeah, and that's all you that, get, and you're it, done. It, yeah, yeah, we're, we're gonna we're gonna end the game on them because it will ramp up the difficulty, yeah. and then they'll just have to try again. So yeah. I, I can see that. But you 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 wouldn't go back to it. But it wasn't a chore to play, Whitney. No, no. Boy, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this in the enjoy column because mm -hmm. I enjoyed the experience of it. Yeah, I enjoyed learning about it. I enjoyed finding it. I enjoyed just seeing the the sheer quirkiness of it. Yeah. Uh, no, it didn't annoy me at all. I I just don't think that it has the staying power for me to put it into even a semi-constant rotation. Yeah. And that being said, Vic, I, I may find myself sit down and play this thing and try to get to level five, sure, surely because <laughs> oh, good I, luck I'm, on just that. I'm just determined to do it. You know, yeah. but but overall, I enjoyed it because I, I just I do. I have to fall back to what I said earlier in in the show. I have to put my 1981, 1982, 1983 lens on yeah. and say 
would I enjoy, would I have enjoyed this back then? And the answer would have been, oh yes, I would have had a smile on my face, mm. surely because of the the, the quirkiness of it. Yeah. So yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I, I I totally echo that because when I was playing Space Invaders uh, and and you know the old black and white games and even electromechanical games, and then someone suddenly put me in front of this game with colourful graphics, loud music, shooting stuff. Funny looking fish. I would have been in. Oh yes, please. I would have had some of that. Definitely. Uh, well, yeah. Yep. Yeah, same here. Next show's game. The last thing we've got to do, Whitney, is next show's game. Uh, and I think I chose this because perhaps the next podcast host, whoever it might be, might enjoy it. And the game is Terra Cresta. Oh, yes. It was developed by Nichibutsu. It's sort of a follow-on from Mooncrester. Yep. Uh, the ROM, if you're playing it in MAME, is Terracre, T-E-R-R-A-C-R-E. Uh, I want everyone to choose three lives, difficulty easy, and extra lives are provided on 20,000 and every 60,000 after that. You can submit your score with an email to the site, which is vertvic at tenpencearcade.co.uk. You can add it onto Arcade Sidekick in the Tenpence Club, or you can uh, hashtag score on Twitter. The deadline for score submissions is roughly a month from now. It's going to be Tuesday, 12th of May, 5 o'clock p.m. UK time, please. And what I'd like to say now is thank you very much, Whitney, for joining me. Uh, you've been an excellent host. We've got nearly two hours out of this, I think, which has been excellent. We were plagued by some Skype problems, but we got through it, hopefully. Yes. Uh, so thank you very much for joining me. The, the, ple- the pleasure is mine, Vic. Thanks for considering me, and thank you for having me on. Definitely. I, 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 great, I greatly appreciated it, and it's fun just to – I know we talked about a lot of different topics, and mm-hmm. I think that's indicative of what I forced my, my, my co-host Brent into is we meander <laughs> around yeah. a little bit. Yep. So I, I apologize uh, in advance for that, but I, I just – I just have such a good time just talking about the the different topics that that interplay into this the, the whole arcade hobby, and so it was great fun for me, and uh, it, it it made a, a quarantine day a brighter day. How about that? Excellent, thank you very much. And on that note, thanks for listening, everyone, and I will see you roughly in a month with a new podcast host from my box of podcast hosts that I pick from. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Cheers. You can download or play the podcast, read all the show notes, and leave feedback at www.10pencearcade.co.uk. You can email me at vertvic at 10 You can also reach us on our Facebook page. You can tweet me at 10 We'd love to hear from you for game suggestions, arcade pickups and stories, or any of your personal thoughts on anything we may have covered. <laughs>